Welcome to episode 32 of the So Video Games Podcast, where we talk about any game at all, including new stuff, old stuff, and anything in between. If we're playing it, we will be talking about it. Today, we are recording on May 14th, 2017, and happy Mother's Day to all you moms, stepmoms, adoptive moms, foster moms, and people who play a motherly role in someone's life. And hey, if you call yourself a fur mom because you have a pet... That doesn't count. It's just having a pet. Come on. My name, Brad Galloway, editor at GameCritics.com, and 50% of this here show with me, as always, is my main man, Corey Motley, staff writer at GameCritics. How you living, Corey? Okay, first of all, excuse me about the pet thing. How dare you, sir? How dare you? Are, are you a fur? Don't tell me you're a fur mom. I believe that having pets is just like having a member of the family, and you have to spend a lot of money on pets, just like you have to spend a lot of money on kids, and if your pets get sick, you have to take them to the vet, just like you have to take your kids to the to the doctor, and I will not stand for your no firm on bullshit over here, sir. Here's the difference, though. Here's the difference. Um, whenever you get tired of your pet, you can stick them in a box and then just go to bed. You cannot do that with a kid. That's the difference. If you are a terrible pet parent, then maybe you can do that. But I wouldn't be caught <laughs> dead sticking my pets in some box somewhere, some kennel. <laughs> Never, ever, ever. All right. All right. Obviously, you're starting the show off with a bang, with a bang. <laughs> Other than firm on disputes, how are you, sir? Uh, I am good. Brad, we have approximately like 150,000 things to talk about on the show tonight. Dude, I'm so excited. I've been working on this script all day. Lots of stuff going on this week. Looking forward to the chat with you today, as I always do. And we have just got so much to talk about tonight. I just, I'm stoked. I'm really stoked to be sharing this with you and with the rest of the listeners. I say we jump right into it. What do you say, sir? Uh, that sounds like a good idea to me. Well, excellent. As our listeners know... We usually get the ball rolling with our traditional few minutes of unnecessary banter that's not necessarily game-related. And tonight, we also have some questions and comments from listeners this week. We're going to get to those in just a few minutes. But up first, the banter, the fan-favorite banter. The fans have spoken, and the banter is here. Corey, what do you have this week, sir? Okay, good news. I have... My banter is absolutely not video game-related at all. And I have banter that is not... Oh, I photographed parkour this week. I have an actual story to tell you. And it's one of those stories that like I feel it's totally like a first world problem story. And I, it's going to be like a big complaining story that I feel really stupid for telling. But it's the most like recent thing that's happened to me that's like sort of a big deal, but not really that big of a deal. But it's more significant than like taking pictures of people. Dude, you're not going to tell me they ran out of pumpkin spice at Starbucks, are you? Oh, no, no, none of that. <laughs> okay, then let it roll. All right, okay. So I, uh, as you know, as listeners might know, um, I have been, since we moved to New Orleans, I've been looking for like a real, a for real job here because I'm not working right now. Um, and I have been slowly but surely reaching that point where I'm like, beggars can't be choosers. I need to, you know, do my part to make some money. I want to be bringing in some income again. So maybe that means I will need to like take a job that I don't necessarily want because I worked in retail for like 11 years. I left retail and lately I've been thinking like, okay, it wouldn't be like the worst thing in the world to go back to retail as long as I get a job that I'm actually interested in. So I've been looking for 
um, visual merchandiser positions in the area in New Orleans because I used to be a presentation leader at Target and like presentation and visual merchandising is something that I'm interested in because it's a lot better than just, you know, standing at a cash register or standing in a fitting room and like handing people like number tags. So I apply to Macy's here. There's a Macy's in a pretty nice mall that's like 15 minutes away from the house we're at. And I, I apply online for this position and like the next day I get an email that's like, oh, we want to invite you in for an interview. So I was like, awesome. Like we're on, we're on a good path here. But Macy's has this really stupid thing where you, you don't like nobody calls you to schedule the interview. They like send you an email and then they have like time slots on their website and you like select a time slot and submit it. And then they email you like directions on how to go in and like where to, where to report to and everything when you get there, which I mean, it's kind of nice if you're one of those people who doesn't like to talk on the phone to people. But I mean, when it comes down to like scheduling a job interview, I would rather talk one-on-one -on -one with somebody. So I scheduled the interview, and then the next day, I scheduled the interview for like three or four days after um, I, get the, I get the email. And then the following day, somebody calls me and leaves a voicemail when I'm sleeping. And they're like, oh, uh, the scheduled time slot you left uh, that you wanted for the interview, our visual manager is not going to be here, so we need to reschedule. And I'm thinking like, okay, well, this whole fucking problem could have been solved by just me talking to someone in the first place, but whatever. So I call them back. I rescheduled the interview for like the following day. And the, the email that they send me, I'm supposed to go in the building, go to the third floor, and there's like an executive office in the back corner. And I'm supposed to go back there, meet with whoever, the manager, visual manager, HR, whoever, and then, you know, do the interview and everything. So I get up that day, you know, I take a shower, I shave, I put on like slacks and a button-up shirt. And, you know, I don't dress up for much anymore these days, but I, you know, dress up a little bit, get ready. I go to the interview and I get to the building, I get to the executive office about 10 minutes early. Um, and so I, I walk in the executive office, there's a woman at the desk, not behind the desk, but like in front of it. I thought she was there for an interview too, because I didn't, I couldn't see like a name tag or anything. She's filling out a piece of paper and she, she turns around and she has a name tag and she's like, oh, hi, you know, uh, somebody should be out in a minute. And I was like, okay. And she leaves the office. And so I stand there for like five minutes and then... A guy walks in from the same door that I walked in from and like says hello and then walks to the back of the office and then leaves like five minutes later. So I've been staying there for like 10 to 15 minutes. I sit down on a little couch. Nobody is at the desk. Nobody comes up. Uh, I can't tell if anybody's back in the executive office, but I didn't really feel like it was my place to like go back there and like snoop through the executive offices. So I sit there. At about the 20 minute mark, the same guy who walked in like five or 10 minutes ago, walks back in, doesn't say anything to me, goes to the back of the executive offices for a minute and then leaves again. And then at about, the, I, I had made a deal with myself that if I sat there for 30 minutes and nobody came out to like actually take me back for an interview that I was going to leave. And so this woman comes out, a young woman, and she, at about the 25 or so minute mark, and she like walks out from behind the offices, makes eye contact with me for about one one thousandth of a second, does not say anything, doesn't say hi, doesn't say hello, doesn't say, hey, what are you here for? And she just turns around and walks back into the office. So I fucking got up and left. Like I scheduled this interview online and I had to call and reschedule it because of their stupid online scheduling system. And then I get there and sit in their fucking office for a half an hour like they told me to do. They told me to get there, got there 10 minutes early, sat there for a half an hour, and nobody lifted a finger to come out to get me for the interview, to ask me what I was there for, to figure out what I was doing. And I was just like, okay, first of all, like this isn't a job that I'm like 
clamoring for by any means. Second of all, like if this is how you treat people who you're trying to get to work for you, like how do you treat your employees that do work for you? How do you treat the people who are shopping in your store that you're trying to get to buy your shit? So I just left and I was like, this is so stupid. Like, I'm not going to waste my time sitting here for more than a half an hour. It's for a freaking job interview for a job that I don't even want that bad. And it was just so ridiculous. And like, they never called me. They never, um, you know, followed up. I didn't expect them to follow up because, you know, nobody was there to actually talk to me about anything. So they probably thought I was just a no show, even though I sat there for a half an hour in their office. But I was just like, what the heck? This is so stupid. That is incredible. I'm, so I'm yeah. I'm, I'm hearing this story in my head, and I'm thinking like so many things at the same time. I mean, one, I'm like, okay, is this some kind of like meta test or something? I, they, I was thinking the same they, thing. <laughs> yeah, are they trying to see like how passive you are? Like, if you get up and leave, then you're like too feisty and they don't want you. And if you sit there for like three days, then you're the, then you're Macy's <laughs> material, maybe. I mean, but that's kind of stupid. I think I'm, the other thing I'm thinking is like. Uh, you know, I haven't had to interview for a job in a long time. I actually did go on an interview a while ago and that's horrific. I don't want to talk about that, but, um, people have been incorporating this kind of stuff, like what you're describing, like the computer scheduling, and it's kind of become weird and impersonal in some ways. And sometimes you drop off your application and it just goes into the internet void. You're not sure if anybody even looks at it and stuff like that. I mean, technology is kind of shifting how that works and that, I mean, that just seems like did, did somebody book this and it wasn't supposed to be booked and then nobody was there. And I mean, all that stuff aside, just human common courtesy to, to if you see a stranger in what, you know, the executive offices, I mean, I'm, I'm guessing it was pretty clear you weren't like looking for a dressing room or the bathroom <laughs> or something. Like, why the fuck would nobody be like, hey, I'm sorry, are you here for somebody? Like, who are you? What's going on? Like, I, you know, why would you not do that? I mean, you're probably better off not working there anyway. And honestly, I was kind of surprised you even said Macy's in the first place because there's been lots of stories lately about these big box stores, these department stores. Just dying off, man, because online online is killing them and specialty stores are killing them and no one's shopping in stores like that anymore. So honestly, you're probably better off not even uh, getting aboard that sinking ship. Yeah, it's true. And I mean, the, the interesting thing for me about Macy's is like, you know, up until this day, I didn't, I, or up until the interview, you know, I hadn't really had anything against Macy's per se, but I like the, literally the last time I had even been in a Macy's to shop was probably like probably like six or seven years ago, because in my college town, the only Macy's we had closed down. Whenever I lived in Omaha, the closest Macy's was like three or four hours away. There wasn't one in Omaha. So it's like, it's just weird that there's one here in the first place. But yeah, Macy's is kind of one of those stores. It's like, they're just like slowly phasing out and shutting them down if they're not profitable in the country. So I mean, yeah, like I probably am better off not working there, but I just could not believe how stupid that whole situation was. Yeah, that sounds ridiculous. I mean, just on a basic, basic common courtesy level, just on a basic business etiquette level, like you said, I mean, if this is how they act around people, I mean, you could have been anybody. They don't know who you were. You could have been anybody and that's how they treat you. Like, forget it. Like, how rude. Yeah, it was anyway. really stupid, especially considering like three people passed through the office and all it would have taken was one of them to be like, oh, hi, what are you here for? Let me go get someone for you. And nobody like <clears throat> even bothered to try anything like that. It would have been fucking badass if, like, like an, if you stayed there and when somebody finally came up to you, you'd be like, I'm sorry, I'm from fucking corporate and I came here because I heard you have terrible <laughs> customer service and I've been sitting here for 45 fucking minutes and you're all fucking fired. Like, that would have been fucking awesome. But uh, anyway. All right, man. That was that was a terrible story. I'm so sorry that happened to you. Do you have anything else for your banter or was that just enough trauma for one week? Uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, that's all I had prepared to say. That was um, the feistiest thing that happened to me since the last time we talked. 
<laughs> All right, well, fuck Macy's, man. Fuck Macy's anyway. <laughs> All right, I'll move on to my banter here. I got a couple of things. Um, first off, I kind of just random this week. Uh, first off, uh, before I start my banter, I do want to let people know that I've been fine all day long, have had no problems, been looking forward to the show. Literally, like, one minute before we started recording, I had, like, this incredible, like, coughing fit, and I just, out of nowhere, I don't know what's going on. So I'm doing my best to, like, not cough, and if I do cough, I do apologize ahead of time. I don't know what's up. Some kind of, like, weird, like, fungal spore explosion in my house right before we recorded or something like that. Who knows? Um, anyway, if I cough, forgive me. First thing, have you ever cooked with a cast iron pan, Corey? Do you cook a lot? Do you have a cast iron pan? Oh, hell yeah. I've got a cast iron pan, and I use it pretty regularly. Nice. Okay, cool. Um, We used to have one a long time ago, and we just kind of stopped for a while. We got into the whole Teflon nonstick thing for a while, and that was pretty cool. Uh, But we've kind of been migrating away from that. Now, the cast iron pan you have, like, is it a big one or is it a small one? It is big, like, big enough to cook, like, I mean, I could probably fit, like, three or four chicken breasts in it, so it's, like, you know, regular sized. Okay. We got like a big one, which is even bigger than what I would consider. I think it's probably like, I want to say it's like at least a 12 inch, probably a 14 inch pan. Um, so for me, that's pretty big. Uh, and for people that don't know, I mean, cast iron is literally what it sounds like. It is a, an, an iron, an, an, uh, it's not an iron. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I'm fucking this up so bad. It is a pan <laughs> made out of cast iron. It is literally iron. It is solid iron. And um, I haven't used one in a long time, and so we're kind of getting back into it. There's a little bit of a protocol you've got to use when you use a cast iron pan. You kind of work with it a little bit differently than your usual Teflon pan, so forth and so on. But the thing that really struck me is how heavy this thing is. <laughs> I mean, it is uh, ridiculously heavy. Like, I'm sitting there. I almost can't even lift it with one hand because it is, like, so heavy. And I can I, I can barely lift it, right? But I can't, like lift it and then turn the pan to like scoop food out onto a plate. Like it's too heavy for one hand. I can't do it. So I got to like two handed and like my wife has to like scoop the food out or maybe I just like (laughs) scoop the food out itself, which kind of leads me to the whole idea of like broadswords or great swords. And it made me think of our good friend cloud strife from final fantasy seven. Right. So like, he's got that like ridiculous, like uh, buster sword or whatever. It's like, it's like seven feet long and it's like four feet wide. And I'm looking at that and I'm looking at my cast iron pan and I'm like, man, I can barely fucking lift this pan, dude. And I can, you know, I certainly cannot wield it with ferocity. How is skinny ass Cloud Strife like swinging that thing around? That's stupid. That's so stupid. There's no way. So anyway, that was a realization I had today. Also, <laughs> cast iron pans are pretty good. Um, yeah, nothing deeper than that. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> uh, quick shout out to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I might have mentioned this before, but uh, my family got in the habit of like watching series, series of movies. And we would watch like one a weekend as kind of a family event. We went through the whole Harry Potter series and that was a good time. And we were looking for something else that had plenty of movies and that was also family friendly. And we settled on rewatching a lot of the Marvel movies. We're big Marvel fans. We're big superhero fans. Um, so we decided to start from scratch. And my wife and I had seen most of them, but my young son had not seen a lot of them, especially the earlier ones. So we started watching. I think the very first one to kick it off was Iron Man. The first Iron Man. We watched that. Still good film. Really dug it. Uh, we went on to The Hulk, which was starring Edward Norton, and he like immediately left. I don't know if he got kicked off or if he just didn't want to keep on doing The Hulk or what. I don't know what his deal was, but that was the one where he was only in it for one movie, and he got replaced by that other guy uh, whose name I totally forget. Do you know what that other guy's name is, Corey? Oh, my God. I can picture him, but I right? cannot think of his name right now. Oh, my God. Yeah. 
Yeah, I see his face in my head. Like, I know exactly who it is, but I just, I'm literally, I cannot remember his name. Anyway, point being, it's weird, because as far as I know, except for the Falcon, who got replaced, um, he is the only other Marvel Cinematic guy who got replaced. But he's like elite, no, not the Falcon, I'm sorry. Boy, my apologies. It was War Machine. War Machine is the guy that got replaced. And the Hulk is also a guy that got replaced. And it's weird, because a lot of these actors come back so many times that you just really associate those actors with that role. And so to see the Hulk, who's, you know, a pretty big character in the Marvel Universe, and my son has seen <laughs> Pretty a big. Movies. He's actually pretty gigantic, if you will. He, he is pretty monstrous. He is hulking. A very hulking He is hulking. <laughs> um, so, to, you know, so my son is so used to seeing him as that guy, whose name I totally cannot remember right now. Apologies to whoever that actor is. And then we're going back, and he's like, who's this guy? And I'm like, well, it's the Hulk, but, you know, not really. I mean, he was only, you know, it's, it's like... Explaining, like, changing a role of that nature to a kid was really weird. And, I mean, he got past it. It was fine. But it was just really bizarre. And it kind of made me think how unfortunate it was that they weren't able to, like, lock him down. Or maybe get the other guy in first or whatever. This feels really weird to switch actors in the middle of something like this where everybody just comes back and comes back and comes back. So, kind of bizarre. But we're enjoying it. We're going to move on to Captain America pretty soon. Not this weekend. Probably next weekend. And I will uh, have updates on that as we go. One final thing for banter, and I've been—I got i got to admit—I got to admit—I've been looking forward to sharing this oh all day. Oh my god! So I, <laughs> today is Mother's Day, as we said at the top of the show. I contacted our good friends over at Pornhub. Good you know Pornhub, friends. don't you, Corey? Uh, our good friends over at Pornhub. Yeah, have you ever heard of Pornhub? You know, you know porn. Uh, <laughs> what? I've never heard of porn before, Brad. What are you talking about? <laughs> oh, oh, oh. You know, before we go further, I wanted to give a shout out to Jeroen in Germany. Jeroen, if you're listening, God love you, my friend. And if your two kids are listening, please uh, fast forward like oh, two minutes. Don't, yeah. li- don't listen to this part. Or I'm giving you a heads up. Thinking of you, buddy. Just fast forward two minutes. Anyway, today was Mother's Day. So, of course, I'm thinking, huh, I wonder if Pornhub has a big spike in, like, MILF-related porn. I wonder if that's a thing. And so I tweeted out to our good friends at Pornhub, and they're great on Twitter. I mean, Pornhub is really fun. They are really nice folks. I mean, they sponsor community activities. They're fairly involved in the gaming community. They do lots of, like, jokey stuff uh, on their site and on Twitter. I mean, they're not just, like, a bunch of pervos. Like, I mean, they're, you know, they make their money by, you know, showing sex videos and stuff. But, I mean, they seem like they're people. They seem like they're, you know, all right folks. As far as porn purveyors go. Anyway, they got back to me on Twitter and they're like, yes, we do have a giant spike in MILF related. Oh, and for those who don't know, it's it's moms I'd like to fuck, M-I-L-F. I'm sure you all know that already. Oh I'm God. sure you all know that, but I wanted to clarify. Um, they said they had a 190% increase on these special mom-oriented holidays. And I'm like, whoa, that's a, that's a big increase of people who like generally look at their standard porn or whatever whatever flavor they like. And then on Mother's Day, they're like, you know, I'm feeling like a little mature ladies today. I think I'm going to check out Pornhub. <laughs> I think I'm going to drive their traffic up. Oh so interestingly, God. they directed me to this giant page full of data. Man, they keep so much data on this stuff. It is incredible. They said currently the search term stepmom is number one. It outranked. <laughs> I know, right? It outranks both MILF and mom in search volume, and it is only followed by friends mom. So there's very specific flavors of mom out there. Uh, they also said, hold on now, videos featuring stepmom and son are more popular than stepmom and daughter. Huh, interesting. Although 
Mom and Daughter's Boyfriend, very popular as well. Interesting stats, right? Interesting stuff. Also, the leading state searching for MILFs, Iowa. I always knew those Iowa people were dirty, dirty people in Iowa. I knew it. Anyway, I thought that was fascinating. Uh, Big ups to Pornhub for getting back to me on Twitter and directing me to all that data. I just thought that was just like this. So, so interesting. And I wanted to share that with you and the listeners here (laughs) on this wonderful Mother's Day. So anyway, uh, that was the end of my banter. And I've been I've been waiting to share that. I'm really glad I got that out of my system. Uh, <laughs> any any impressions on that, Corey? Do you do a lot of MILF searching when you're on uh, looking at porn? Uh, well, you know, I actually, despite the fact that I am gay, I actually do watch quite a bit of straight porn. And one thing, I mean, I actually, one thing that I do like about, like, the MILF quote-unquote category in porn is that it's usually, like, it's usually, like, you know, like an older, like mature woman, you know, I say older and in the videos, they usually look like they're like mid thirties, which is not older by any means, but, um, you know, it's not like an 18 year old and, but usually in MILF porn, it's like, it's like, you know, uh, mid thirties, you know, to like mid forties woman. And it's always like a younger guy, like, you know, kind of like a boy next door. So, you know, obviously I'm watching straight porn for the dudes and not for, you know, the middle-aged women, uh, but I do appreciate that it's like, cause I, I can get into that where it's like, you know, like a younger looking dude and like a kind of like a cute, like boy next door kind of guy. Cause they, they're always these stupid, like, you know, fantasies of like, Oh, I, I came over to fix my friend's mom's like refrigerator. And then she like wanted to have sex on the kitchen counter, but it's never like an old dude, which, you know, I don't like old dude porn. So, uh, that's, I don't know. That's why I like MILF categories, I guess. Interesting, interesting. I think it's great that there's a, a flavor for everybody out there. There's all sorts of categories. Those ladies need to make a living just like the 18-year-olds do, and I think it's totally fine that there's all this stuff. And I'm just, I'm, I'm so glad that Pornhub keeps track of that. They had just so much data. I mean, there was like pages and pages of data I could have quoted, which I did not. You could read about that <laughs> stuff all day long. Fascinating, fascinating stuff. Anyway, that is going to bring our banter section to a close. Yeah, we'll see if it's people's favorite section after today. Yeah, we'll hear about that. <laughs> Uh, moving on, let's get into Q&A. We had some questions and comments sent in by our faithful listeners. But before we get into these, I would like to remind you all that if you want to hear your question or your comment on this show, it's easy. It is so easy. All you got to do is hit us up on Twitter or send us an email. We will list the specifics of that contact information at the end of the show. But man, you got good odds. Well, we are not exactly drowning in correspondence. So if you send us a note, odds are pretty good. We're going to read it. That's your 15 minutes of internet fame. Anyway, let's get to it. Corey, why don't you start us off with Q&A this week, sir? All right. Our first uh, question comes from Michael Cunningham, uh, also known as Mac Cunningham. And he has Final Mac Storm on Twitter. And his question was, what RPG would you most like to see a direct sequel to? Do you want me to go first, or do you want to go first? Go ahead, man. Go ahead. I'm, I'm very curious. I got to say, I struggle in this, so I want, to, I want you to go first. It's going to give me a few more minutes to think about my answer. Yeah, when I read this question, I was like, oh, damn it, Mac, because I feel like he knows that I'm not into RPGs, and I was like, this is like the worst question because I don't really play RPGs, and I wanted to go with like an actual RPG and not like an action game with RPG elements because it would have been easier for you to be like, oh, Deus Ex, but Deus Ex is like a first-person shooter with RPG elements, and I keep those genres very, like, separate in my head. But, you know, to be honest with you, I only had to think about it for a, for about a minute before I came up with 
what I think was a solid answer. And my answer is I would like to see a sequel in the Parasite Eve series. Uh, Par- Ooh, right? good call. Yeah, good so call. Parasite Eve is kind of an action RPG, but it does, it has like, um, for those who, who don't know or who haven't heard of this, Parasite Eve came out on PlayStation 1, and then there was a sequel to it on Play- uh, also on PlayStation 1, and it's like you play as um as uh, I think her name's Aya Brea Aya Brea Aya Brea um and she's like an FBI or CIA agent or something and there's like people that turn into monsters in the city and it's like the mitochondria in their cells like um I don't know like mutates and they turn into these like gross monsters and I really liked the second Parasite Eve game because it felt like if you took Resident Evil and mapped like an action RPG because it has like HP and MP, but it's kind of like like Crisis Core Final Fantasy combat where it's not turn-based in any way, but you still have to like do a lot of resource management in the middle of battle, and it has like definite like battle entry and exits. And I know Parasite Eve got a PSP sequel called The Third Birthday, if I'm not mistaken. It was bad. Yeah, I never played it, so I'm just going to pretend like it doesn't exist, but I would love to see a real Parasite Eve 3 because it's like almost survival horror but with like rpg like like real-time action rpg laid over the top of it and i am like totally there for it that is a really good answer i wish i had thought of that because i gotta be honest with you i kind of struggled with this um i you know i've played a jillion rpgs over the years but like most of them have already gotten direct sequels and frankly i don't play a lot of strict rpgs these days i mean i have some that i want to play that i want to get to but it's just not my jam anymore. I feel like they usually take too long, and I, I think many of them just don't really light me up the way they used to. I think I kind of am shifting in my taste. So I really struggled about this one for a while. Um, I think, I, in fact, I even changed my answer. I had some notes earlier, and I changed my answer. Uh, the thing that I would like to see, and I'm kind of cheating on this a little bit, I would like to see Dragon's Dogma uh, get a sequel. Did you ever play Dragon's Dogma, Corey? I did not. All right, I didn't think so. It didn't seem like your jam, but this was one put out by Capcom uh, a couple years ago, probably longer than I think it was, and it is kind of an action RPG, so that's kind of the cheat. I don't play a lot of, like, strict, like, turn-based RPGs anymore, uh, or even PC-style RPGs, but this one was where you had a, uh, a character, it was like a medieval type of setting with fantasy dragons and stuff like that, and I know that's not your jam, uh, but you, you went out in the world, and it was open world, and... Also, there was, like, a real-time combat. Like, you actually controlled your character. Like, they had attack combos, and they could do, like, magic spells. And it all happened in real time. You fought these big monsters. It kind of was like if you had if you had bolted an RPG onto Monster Hunter, kind of. Like, that's kind of what it would come out as. and But with less emphasis on grinding and less emphasis on crafting and stuff like that. It was really interesting. And the thing that was really cool about it was, like, the um, there was a system... For your followers, you could have these AI followers that were really cool. You could trade them back and forth between other players and they would bring back information or they'd bring back um, like items. And if you leveled yours up really high, you could borrow them, uh, let them, uh, a friend borrow them. And then if a friend needed some help in a tough boss, like your your guy would come over and kick ass, uh, you know, for them. And it was just really cool, like a really cool system. It had a lot of really, really great ideas. I think also the story was pretty amazing. It seemed like there was no story for like the first like 30 hours. And then you got to the end and it was just like totally mind blowing um, out of nowhere. It was really, really cool game. I know they kind of like did some kind of weird 
free-to-play thing in Japan or something. Like, it never came over here in the States, and I, I apparently wasn't any good because it didn't go anywhere. Uh, but I would love to see more of that. I think that would be great. I would love another action-style RPG like that. Uh, really, really good stuff. Not enough people have played Dragon's Dogma, and I wish that it got more love and definitely a proper sequel. So that is my answer, Mac. Hopefully those will satisfy you. There you go. Uh, I'll take the next one here. This is from Schnick9000 on Twitter. <laughs> Sorry, Schnick. I was, I was trying to figure that out. Schnick, yes. Schnick9000. He says, Have you ever played a game knowing it was shitty, but you had fun anyway? I'm only asking because I've been playing Strafe lately and my feelings for the game are conflicting. Um, I have not played Strafe, but that is kind of a throwback uh, first-person shooter. It looks a lot like old-school Doom, like the you know the way, way old original Doom kind of thing. I had, not my cup of tea. I'm probably not going to play it, but I've seen some people getting into it. Um, so I guess maybe he's feeling like, eh, maybe not the greatest game, but still enjoying it. I understand that feeling. I've had that feeling many times, and there were several games I could have picked. The thing that I think I want to select for tonight, though, Schnick, is I'm going to pick Murdered Soul Suspect. I played that on the PS4, but I think it's also on Xbox One and PC. Corey, have you played Murdered Soul Suspect? I have, and I actually think that it's sort of underrated. I like this game whenever I played it. It's not a masterpiece, but I enjoyed it, and I have a feeling you're about to articulate some reasons why both of us enjoyed it. Excellent. I'm glad that you enjoyed it. You got good taste. Did I ever tell you that? You got good taste. <laughs> so Murdered Soul Sub- Suspect. It is It is kind of a shitty game. Like, when you look at individual parts of it, like, mechanically, it's not great. Um, there are some design choices, which I found were kind of poor. It's kind of janky. But overall, I mean... I really liked the idea of it. You play a detective who gets murdered and then he comes back as a ghost and then he needs to figure out what's going on. And he can, correct me if I'm wrong, he can possess people, right? He can possess different people. Yeah, Yeah, I think so. I think that's right. I think he can possess certain people and he can like do some investigations. He jumps back and forth. He has a friend who is kind of like this psychic girl and she can see him. She's like the only person that can see him. And so he kind of has her doing some of like the real world things like he can't do certain things in the real world. So she's got to like open doors or whatever like that for him. It was a really cool story because you don't get to play as a ghost detective all that often. I thought that their teamwork and camaraderie was nice. I thought the story was pretty interesting, even though at certain points you were doing some lame fetch quest stuff here and there. It was, it didn't overstay its welcome. And you got to see these little like um, small, interesting side stories where these people like had these small, uh, like sad, turns of events where these people, these other ghosts would need help and you would help them really quickly. And then you could see like what happened to them and how they ended up where they were like overall, like mechanically not great. Uh, but I just, I really like that one a lot. I do think that one is underrated. I think the writing was better than people gave it credit for. I think the concept was better than people gave it credit for. And I just, I really recommend that one to anybody who's able to look past jank and just look at <laughs> the things that a game does well. So that is my, shitty but still really loved it and still had a a lot of fun with it game Corey, what about you man all right i have i couldn't decide on one so i have two picks for this but i will try to make it quick um my first one i thought about because somebody on twitter was just saying the other day that it was like the 14 year uh anniversary of the game god i hope that's right that sounds really old um but it is enter the matrix 
Oh, that's right. That is correct. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. So like Enter the Matrix was the first Matrix video game and it launched alongside, if I'm not mistaken, it launched alongside the second Matrix movie, The Matrix Reloaded. And it was like super duper hyped. This was back in the day whenever like every Hollywood movie had a, a really terrible video game launching alongside it. But I I rented Enter the Matrix, and then I ended up buying it later on down the road. And even though it's kind of janky, I really liked it. I felt like it captured the tone of the Matrix really well. It had like first person shooting and bullet or third person shooting and bullet time, and it did like kind of like a fighting, um, like a like a one on one like uh, like fighting game kind of thing going on sometimes. And like the music was really great, and the story tied in with you know the last two Matrix movies and. I thought it was really good. Um, I, I mean, it's like not a great game by any means, but I played the hell out of it and I had a lot of fun and I was able to kind of look past look past the jank on that one too. Uh, Brad, do you have any thoughts before I name my second game? Um, I remember that game coming out and I got to be honest, uh, I really liked the first Matrix a lot and I didn't like any of the other two movies. I kind of fell away from it. I don't think I even played it. My good friend... Um, Doug Walsh, he was a huge fan of this game, if I'm not mistaken. I think he even wrote the hint guide. He worked for um, one of the strategy guide companies, and I think he loved it so much that he just like, he wrote the book, like honestly wrote the book, <laughs> and he really got into it. So I heard of it a lot from him, but I don't think I've ever played it. Well, um, there's really no reason for you to go back and play it, to be honest with you, but uh, but it's it's interesting. I, I think it it got a really bad rap, but I still played the hell out of it. And uh, my, my second game that I want to name drop real quick is uh, Perfect Dark Zero, an Xbox 360 launch title that was a prequel to Perfect Dark. Uh, Perfect Dark is one of like my all-time favorites. I adore that game. I don't care what you say. I think it's better than GoldenEye 007. And Perfect Dark Zero was not a great game at all. It was a first-person shooter that was a really silly, almost cartoony prequel to to Perfect Dark. But one thing that I loved about Perfect Dark Zero is that it had really great split-screen multiplayer, and it had bots in it. And I was dating a guy at the time, and my uh, best girlfriend, Sarah, and a guy that she was seeing at the time, the four of us would go, would hang out at anybody's house at Zach's house at my house and we would play uh we would just play Perfect Dark Zero like all night we would play the four of us split screen and we would turn the bots on and we would play all the different game modes and the the multiplayer stages um the the size of them changed depending on who uh like on how many bots you enabled they would be smaller if you had less bots or bigger if you enabled more bots and you could do a lot of like customization on the bots you could make certain ones really hard you could make certain ones um you know, like do a lot of melee or like use a certain kind of weapon or something like that. And it was just like for someone like me who absolutely detests competitive online gameplay, like Perfect Dark Zero was the perfect fix for that because I got to have fun and sit on a dirty couch with my friends and play uh, multiplayer games at the same time. And we had bots, so we didn't have to deal with like stupid ass people online or like people online who are like really competitive and really, uh, you know, really like driven and difficult. So I, uh, Perfect Dark Zero is not a great game, but man, the split screen multiplayer on it was the best. Huh, interesting. I uh, have never played that one. I was not a big fan of the first Perfect Dark. Uh, and I'm just not a fan of first person shooters, especially not ones from the N64 in general. So I can't really say either way. I never really played it, but that sounds like a decent enough answer to me, and I can see how you would have fun. I mean, uh, being with friends and uh, getting on a game night like that is making, I mean, that'll make any game fun, honestly. So that makes sense to me. 
Yes, it was it was good times for sure. Right on, right on. Hopefully uh, we've answered your question, Schnick. Thank you very much for that. Corey, you want to take the next one? Of course. Uh, this is from, oh God, Brad, you always do this to me. This is from uh, Soiny Boy. I don't know how to say his name. His real name is William. Um, W-S-I-O-N-Y-N-W is his Twitter handle. And Yeah, you got to tell us how to pronounce that, dude. I have no clue. I, <laughs> I really don't know. But it, I know his name is William, so anyway. Well, he is asking, because um, it's coming up, God, before we even know it. Um, he says, okay, before all the spoilers and rumors get out of control, do you have any E3 predictions or hopes? Brad, do you want me to go first? Or do you want to take it? Yeah, yeah uh, Go first. Go first, man. All right, all right. Well, I thought about this, and uh, honestly, like, at first I was like, Jesus, I don't know what is going to be going on in E3. Because usually I don't really get super hyped about E3. Because I all this, all like the far out stuff that I want to be announced, like Dino Crisis 4, like I know that's never ever going to happen. So like I usually just, you know, scroll through Twitter and get some impressions on it. But a few things that I thought about that I definitely think will be happening are um, Microsoft is for sure going to show off the Scorpio because they're probably going to put it out this holiday season. I'm sure they're going to do um, uh, big updates on HoloLens, probably show it off, because as far as I can tell, they had like a HoloLens event like last week where they actually like showed it off in like a controlled environment. Um, I'm not sure what Sony is going to do. They, I have a feeling they might headline with like Destiny 2, but I'm not really sure. Um, but I would like to see... Uh, an update on Death Stranding, hopefully with some like actual gameplay this time around. Although I doubt very seriously that's going to happen, but um, that would be nice. But other than that, unless I'm totally forgetting something that I was excited about before, those are like the only few things that I can think of. All right. As for me, this was a really tough question because I am kind of so busy with stuff at the moment. Like I've always got a billion games to play and I've always got a billion um, reviews to edit. And I'm just as busy like all the time. Like I don't really have a lot of time to think about what's coming up. I'm like, I'm just, I'm constantly drowning. So I really don't find myself thinking about the future uh, and that kind of thing. But I do want to give good old William an answer. So I thought about it for a while. Uh, the first thing that I want to uh, see from this E3 is nothing for the Switch. Uh, I don't want to hear about any good games. I don't want to hear about anything cool coming up. Um, and I don't say that to be an asshole. I say that because uh, I just really can't afford to buy a Switch right now. And if something really awesome gets announced, it's going to suck because I just don't have the budget for it for the next couple months. So I want it to be quiet. I want it to be dull and boring. And I want to be okay with not owning a Switch for a while because I like I like the way it looks. I plan on getting one for sure. I just can't get one now. And I don't want to be missing out on a bunch of cool stuff. So I'm hoping it's boring for the Switch. Uh, that is my first thing. Otherwise... Uh, I, it's kind of weird, but like, I don't want to see a bunch of stuff for the Scorpio because again, I don't want to buy that. I don't think <laughs> that it's going to really take off. I think there, I think Microsoft honestly is kind of barking up the wrong tree with the Scorpio. Um, and I'm hoping that nothing really amazing is going to be announcing as announced for that. And I can just, just casually ignore it and just move on. Um, in terms of what I actually want, want, want to see, um, I would love to see something uh, about Cyberpunk from CD Projekt Red. I I think it's probably too soon for that, but I would love to get like a taste of it, just a little bit of a flavor, just a little bit more than what we've seen so far because, you know, I loved Witcher uh, 3. That was an amazing game. Loved every minute of that. And I, I would love to get a, a game on an equal, equal footing as that one was, like just something as good. I don't want to go back to it because I think that story has been told 
but something that was as good, the same quality, same kind of work and effort put into it, same kind of writing, that would be amazing. So looking forward to that, but I think it's too soon probably. And finally, um, I got to say, uh, although I am a huge Monster Hunter fan, I was pretty disappointed in the last Monster Hunter. I felt like it was too much repeat content, not enough new stuff, and it was on a bad system. So I know that a spinoff is coming. Uh, it's called Monster Hunter Stories, where instead of just being a straight hunting game, it's a, more of like an RPG where you play as a little kid. And instead of hunting all the monsters, you can make friends with some of them and you can ride them and you go around and doing some stuff like that. I think that's kind of the break the series needs right now. I think they need to step away and just kind of like not keep doing the same thing they've been doing. So I'm looking forward to that. I hope we see a lot more of that at E3. I'm pretty sure that one's coming to the States later on this year. So that's probably a lock. Uh, but other than that, I can't really think of anything. I'll just take whatever comes. I don't have any big, big hopes or dreams or anything like that. So I'm just, you know, whatever shows up, shows up and I'll be fine with that. Unless it's cool stuff for the Switch. No cool stuff for the Switch for at least six more months because I cannot afford one. Yes, correct. Well, right. I might be mistaken in this, but I feel like Nintendo already said that they're not doing like a... I mean, I guess even if they're not doing a press conference, then like publisher press conferences could show some Switch stuff. But like, I, didn't Nintendo say that they're not doing an E3 press conference? Um, I don't recall. I think they're doing something else. I don't think they're not doing anything. I've heard a couple of conflicting reports. Uh, I don't know at the time. And to be honest... I haven't really tracked it down. I'm just going to just whatever happens, happens. But yeah, I did hear something about that. But honestly, I don't believe them. I think they've just got something different planned. Like a Nintendo Direct? Is that what they're called? Yeah, maybe a Direct or something else. Or maybe not around E3 or maybe... Who knows, man? I don't know. Nintendo does what Nintendo does. I, I seriously don't really spend very much time trying to track down what they're doing because it doesn't matter. Like, nobody can guess what they're going to do. And even if you make a guess, it's probably not correct anyway. So... <laughs> Whatever happens, happens. Um, all right, Corey, uh, what's the next one, man? Uh, this is from uh, Michael, because neither of us can pronounce the Swedish version of his name, uh, Michael London. Uh, he says, um, what are your thoughts on remakes? Do you like them? Do you have any favorites? Um, I love remakes. Uh, Brad, do you want me to go first on this one? Yeah, go ahead. You love them. Go for it. Yeah, I do. I, I actually do. I mean, I love some of the ones I've played, like some that I can name drop that I'm in love with, like uh, the Resident Evil GameCube remake that got remastered on like all the new consoles recently. Um, that is one of the best remakes that I've ever played in my life. And it's also one of my favorite survival horror games I've ever played in my life. I adore the Resident Evil, uh, Resident Evil GameCube remake. I also really love the Metal Gear Solid Twin Snakes uh, remake, which is a remake of the first Metal Gear Solid 4 GameCube. Um, I adore that as well. Um, I love uh, Devil May Cry DMC. That's more of like a reboot than a remake, uh, but I went ahead and threw it in because I, I've always, I was always kind of lukewarm on Devil May Cry, and then whenever DMC came out, I was really, really uh, in love with it. And... My last one is uh, Hitman Contracts. Hitman Contracts is like kind of like a half remake because it has about probably like 70% of the game is like redone levels from the very first Hitman, uh, Hitman Codename 47, which was PC exclusive. So it was kind of like IO Interactive's way of giving console players that content, but like on a better engine and like more refined. It has some original levels in it, but um, I love most of the Hitman games and Hitman Contracts I thought was excellent. But those uh, those are the ones I could think of off the top of my head that I really loved. 
Those are good picks. I love DMC too. That game is fucking badass. I love that DMC. That is the best one as far as I'm concerned. Uh, better than what Capcom is turning out. Um, as far as my picks, uh, so I guess my thoughts on remakes are kind of different because, like I kind of alluded to in the last answer, I'm just I'm drowning in games. My backlog <laughs> is ridiculous. I I literally have like more games than I could ever play, and more games are coming out all the time. So I just I don't ever replay games. Like I just don't have time for it. There's always like a billion other things that I should be playing. Um, so remakes are kind of like that thing. Like I just, if something new comes out, I don't, I'm not mad at it. Like it doesn't bother me, but I just, I will not replay a game, even if it's remade. Uh, I mean, I'm trying to think of what it would take to get me to replay something. It would have to have like a bunch of new content or, and it would have to be something that I was absolutely in love with. Like there are very, very few games that I ever replay. So remakes kind of just don't make my cut. Um, but I do like them. Because I think it's great that those things stay current, that they're available to people. I mean, sometimes those games are just not around, and when someone remakes them, it opens them up to a whole new audience, which is awesome. So I think that's great. Like, I'm not against remakes by any by any stretch of the imagination. I just don't really have time to get to them. Although, um, not to be so vague, I do want to give uh, Michael um, a hard answer. So... Uh, I look forward to remakes that I have never played. Like a recent one is Full Throttle. That one was a Lucas Arts uh, remaster remake. I'm looking forward to that one. That one's been on my list for a long time. Never had a chance to play it. I will play that soon. And one that I'm really, really, really looking forward to is Planescape Torment. That has been touted as like one of the best games of all time. It's many people say it's got the best game story of all time, like bar none. I've tried to play that on PC like three or four times and I just can't get into it because I think the interface is really archaic and just it, it just didn't age very well. I find it really, um, really hard to get into that one. I've tried and tried because people speak so highly of it and I just I could never get into it. And that one just recently had um, a big remake. Oddly, I didn't hear much about it. Like I didn't hear people talking about it and it kind of came and went. But, you know, I, I picked it up. It's got a bunch of mods like already installed in it, so I don't have to worry about the mods. I guess they made some changes to the menu structure. It's supposed to be like really a lot more playable and more approachable to people like me who do not have nostalgia to kind of smooth over the rough patches. So that's one I'm really looking forward to. So I'm looking forward to remakes that I've never played, uh, but in general, I don't really spend a lot of time on them. Uh, so that's just that's just where I'm coming from. But I, I still think they're a great idea. Um, I am all for them. Uh, looks like we got a couple more. Corey, what's the next one? Uh, this is uh, part two from Michael. Um, he would like to hear our thoughts on retro systems. Uh, and he listed, for example, the ZX Spectrum Next, which is a recently funded and in development Kickstarter thing, or the rumored SNES Mini. Uh, Brad, do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? Um, sure, I can go first on this one. Uh, yeah, my thoughts will be short and sweet i'm i think it's great that those are coming out as far as the snes mini um, i wish nintendo would make enough so that everybody could get one who wants one um, i probably will not get one because uh, i played all those games before and i don't think that my son would be really interested in playing many of them for more than five minutes so it's probably not worth the investment but a lot of people like those and i think that that should be more available as far as the zx spectrum next I have no thoughts on it because the Spectrum never came out in America, as far as I know. Um, I don't know anything about it, really. I've, I've heard people talk about it. Like, um, I've heard Xantiriad on Gamers talk about it a few times. I've heard some of the uh, older British folk, not to say that he's older, but, you know, he's, he's a grown-up. <laughs> and he's 
He's been around for a while. No, no insult intended there, Gary. Um, but you know, he's talked about it, but I just don't have any experience with it. I, I never had it. I've never seen one. I've never played one. Uh, I, as far as I know, it's never been in America, so I don't have any attachment to it. I, I'm glad that it's coming out. It seems like people are excited in the UK and that's fine, but would I get one? Um, no, because I don't have any nostalgia and I'm guessing that without nostalgia, those games probably are going to be pretty rotten and not very cool. (laughs) So maybe that's a horrible opinion. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know, but I just, uh, you know, it's, it's not something that's ever been on my radar and I probably am not going to dip in. Uh, what about you, Corey? SNES Mini or the ZX Spectrum Next? Well, I looked up the ZX Spectrum Next and uh, because I had no idea what it was. And I looked it up and I, I, I like still have no idea what it is. I mean, I, I, I'm glad that you sort of clarified that it wasn't like a United States thing originally. Because when I looked it up, I was like, I was like, okay, is this just like a system that I had never heard of? Because like I was around like in the NES era and like the Atari era, and I was like, okay, I totally like do not remember this thing. So was it like just old, so old that I don't remember it? But I'm glad that you cleared that up for me because I, yeah, I have like no idea what this thing is. I, uh, I really like. I mean, I'm. I guess I'm glad it's coming out for the people who funded it because it got like super overfunded on Kickstarter, but um. Uh, yeah, I don't really know what it is. I don't really care about it. So I guess those are my thoughts on the ZX Spectrum next. Um, the SNES Mini, uh, I mean, I I was never like a huge Nintendo fan. Like I had an NES. As a matter of fact, I have four NESs in my living room right now. And I have an SNES. Um, you know, I had a Nintendo 64 growing up and, you know, the GameCube. I've had almost every Nintendo system, but I was never like super duper into Nintendo Um but, you know, I'm glad that the if the SNES thing comes around, you know, I'll be excited for it. I, like you, I would like to see them produced enough to where, you know, more than like, you know, 15 people can get their hands on them and more, and, you know, more people outside of New York that has like their flagship, like actual store, you know, can get them. But I just wanted to say, it makes me really sad because I know Nintendo harbors like, like a ton of gaming nostalgia and whenever I was growing up, I always fell more onto like the Sega Genesis. Like I played the Sega Genesis a lot and I was more into like Sega at that point in my life. And you know, Sega has its version of like the NES and SNES mini. And it's just like, it's like the exact same thing. It's like a little Sega Genesis you can buy. Like they literally sell them at like target and at Best Buy and I, like I walked into uh, my local Target the other day and saw it on the shelf, and I was just like, man, you know, like it's really sad to me that like Nintendo like hogs all the nostalgic glory for video games because I would much rather have the little Sega Genesis Mini and be able to play old Sega Genesis games. I mean, I'm not gonna buy one because I'm not that nostalgic for it, but like I would rather have that than an NES Mini or an SNES Mini like any day. And, and the Genesis minis are, like, readily available. Like, there was one in my Target just the other day, and they've been out for, like, a couple of years, maybe more. And it's just sad that, like, nobody cares about, like, the Sega Genesis thing, but everybody's, like, you know, killing themselves and paying, like, four times the price on eBay to get the, the Nintendo mini consoles. So it just kind of makes me sad, Brad. You know, that's a good point, man, because, you know, growing up, I mean, I, I was alive through all these generations, and although I did definitely lean more towards the Nintendo side of things, it's not like I, I, I turned out to be like a huge Nintendo fanboy. I, I mean, I had both. I mean, I had the the Genesis and I also had a Super Nintendo. So, you know, we, we were kind of console agnostic at my house. But if I had to choose, 
I generally would choose Nintendo. Um, something about the colors, I feel like, um, came out a little bit better, and I like the controller better. But, I mean, regardless, we had both. But I do agree that, like, I think it's silly that people are so fanatical about Nintendo. And, I, you know, I, I think that um, Genesis people, or Mega Drive, as it was known in overseas, there there's a pretty hardcore group of people who like that, but it's a pretty small group. And I guess I just don't really know why. Maybe... I, I'm trying to think back to those days. Like, did Nintendo just so greatly outsell uh, Sega that just by sheer numbers alone, like, the fandom is bigger? Or was it just, like, their particular franchises? I mean, I mean, regardless of what, uh, you know, people think about Sonic, I mean, that was probably Sega's biggest star. And even, I mean, he was, he's not anywhere near Mario class as far as I'm concerned. I mean, Sonic was just, like, he was also kind of an, he was always an also-ran to me. So maybe just the, the, the the library of characters Nintendo had was strong enough to to breed that nostalgia. I don't know, but I do think it is kind of shitty that people are killing themselves over the NES Classic and like you know there's a bunch of Genesis classics like Gathering Dust at Target. That is kind of sad. <laughs> um, but oh well, I guess that's the way things go. So anyway, I'm not going to buy one regardless. So there you go, Michael. <laughs> um, apologies for mispronouncing your name. I would love to give it a try if you want to let us know how to actually pronounce it. If you don't want to hear us slaughter it again, I don't blame you. Um, we have one final question. Corey, what, what does this uh, final person have to say here? This is from Parker. Uh, Parker, one of my best uh, one of my best friends, actually, who lives in Salt Lake. Uh, Parker is the greatest. Um, he sent us an email, and he says, he's been listening to a lot of our shows lately, and he says, uh, between the two of you, who do you think tends to be more nitpicky? In my view, you both have good and reasonable taste, though like every critic, there are times when you both will critique an aspect of an experience most others are willing to suspend their disbelief over or excuse. I think you've both even acknowledged a few times you're surprised that critics have given something a pass that seems glaring or egregious to you. I've never felt like there's anything wrong with it. In fact, I think it's made you guys interesting people to discuss games, so calling it nitpicky, quote-unquote, gives this a harsh connotation. Still, which of you do you think tends to be the one who can't let the little things go? Hmm, interesting question, interesting question. Um, I don't know. Corey, do you want to take it first? Or do you want me to take it first? Uh, I, I was thinking earlier that you and I were both going to say the other person. Um, because I think that you're more nitpicky than I am, but I don't know. What do you think? Wow. What a dick. I was, I was going to say we were equal. <laughs> Jeez. Well, you're the one that wow. like, you like wow. start a game and you're like, oh, if it doesn't grip me in 10 minutes, then I'm throwing it in the trash. That's what you do. Man, the truth comes out. <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, I think we are both... Uh, okay, final answer first. I think we're both pretty nitpicky about certain things. Um, I don't think that either one of us has a really hard line about any one particular thing. I mean, I, maybe maybe this is just me. But, you know, sometimes things are a big deal and sometimes they're not. I think it all kind of just depends on how the game strikes me overall. Um, I'm trying to think of some things that are just automatically tripwires for me, and I can't think of anything where I just automatically rule something out. Um, like too much crafting, I, for instance? Yeah, I mean, crafting is something that really gets on my bad side pretty quickly, but there have been a few games that it's fine. Like, I mean, if somebody says crafting, I don't automatically, like, just stop. <laughs> but it really depends. Like, if they get overboard with it, then fuck it. And if it's not a big deal, then it's fine. Um 
I mean, there are certain things that I just I, I don't like, but I, I'm trying to think if there's anything that I'm really nitpicky about. Let me think about that some more. Um, since obviously you think I'm the more nitpicky person, uh, what about you? Do you what 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 trips you up or like? Or how do you feel about this question? Well, I think uh, I think Parker's right because you and I do think you're right because you and I both have separate like unique things that we both that sort of like trip both of us on. Uh, on, you know, good, good or bad game things. And like one thing for me is like, um, you know, I can suspend my disbelief a certain amount in video games, but if there's just like totally ridiculous story strides, like a recent example is like Resident Evil 7. Like like in the first hour of Resident Evil 7, you're, you, the main character's possessed girlfriend like chainsaws your hand off with a chainsaw. <laughs> she chainsaws your hand off with a chainsaw. It's the dumbest thing I've ever said. Um, and like, and you're like running around a house, like holding your stumpy hand that's like spewing blood out of your wrist. Meanwhile, shooting her and reloading and like fighting her. And it just makes no fucking sense in any way, shape or form. Like, I know what Resident Evil 7 is trying to do. Like, oh, VR in your face, cutting your hand off horror. But like Resident Evil 7 was supposed to be this game that was like grounded in realism and like you know, about, like, a gross family in, in Louisiana, like a backwoods, like, Texas Chainsaw Massacre family, and then an hour in, you're getting your hands chainsawed off, and you're, the game literally tutorializes handgun combat by making you shoot your girlfriend, and it's just, like, I, like, I, I was, like, wow, this jumped the shark, like, so fucking early, and I had a really, really hard time forgiving the rest of the game, even though I love a lot of stuff about that game, but just, like, the story strides were so terrible in it and I, I i can't i just cannot look past that um in a game like that no that makes perfect sense i mean uh, you know I, I i wish i could give a better answer to this because i really i feel like each game is kind of its own thing and it really depends to me like how are individual elements weighted like does it make sense within the context of itself like did it explain the systems to me adequately like there's, I mean, there's a million different ways that a game can get on my bad side. And there's also a bunch of ways that I can overlook things and see something that's really good. I guess it just depends. But I will say probably I am pretty nitpicky about characters. Like if a character doesn't look cool, that's a really hard <laughs> thing for me to get past. I'm seriously, though, because, I, you know, that's who you're going to be spending most of your time as. And you're either going to be looking through that character's eyes or you're going to be looking at that character. And if they don't look cool... Like, it just doesn't feel cool. Like, it doesn't It doesn't make me excited to play the rest of the game. I mean, I, I know I've, I've looked past that at certain points, but that's a big thing where I kind of get hung up on it. Like, why does this character not look great? Like, if that's the focus, if that's the face of your game, you would want to think that you would spend a lot of time making sure you got that right. Make them memorable. Make them interesting. Make them unique. Anybody who puts out a game where the main character is not great looking, and I don't mean, like, handsome or beautiful or whatever, like... Like, if they just seem like the design is not crisp, like, if they're not memorable, if they look really generic, if they seem like they're just not rendered, like, to the best of their ability, um, it's just, like, what does that say about the rest of your game, you know? Like, that's kind of a thing that really trips me up. And also, if they're really boring... Oh, I will say... I will say... Okay, I got another one. Something that really fucking gets on my bad side, and I'm super, super, super nitpicky about, is the fucking silent protagonist thing that people do. Like, I think silent protagonist is, like, the most awful thing ever created. I think it's terrible and there are very few games in the history of gaming where it actually works and so when a game comes across my desk and it's a silent protagonist automatically i'm like oh shit like okay i'm getting ready i'm getting my knives out 
I'm getting ready to tear that game apart because I think that is just like the worst thing ever. So I will fully admit to being a super nitpicker about silent protagonists. Sometimes it can kind of work sometimes, but almost like 99% of the time it does not work. It's stupid and it's dumb and it's lazy and I, I fucking hate it. So I will be nitpicky oh, about man. that. But I think overall, well, you don't like him, do you? No, I would much rather have a silent protagonist than a protagonist like Laura Croft in the Tomb Raider reboot who is fucking hiding in the bushes and saying out loud, oh, I need to be quiet as enemies are walking right in front of her. I will take a silent protagonist any day over that stupid bullshit, over a character like Laura Croft or Nathan Drake who don't shut their fucking mouths for the entire game. Well, I I mean, I, I can see that point. Like, I definitely think that there is there's overdoing it. Like, I mean, you don't want to have your guy be a chatterbox or whatever. That's no good. But like, I just can't stand games where someone is obviously fucking talking to you and your character stands there like a dumbass. And they're just like, <laughs> they, they do that thing where they shrug their shoulders and like, or, you know, th- people continue as if you said something. And I'm like, man, I, no, this doesn't make sense. Like, and there's many times when I would feel like something is appropriate to be said, like, you know, a little bit of, of, of verbalization can really help you get to know a character, can really bond you to that character. Um, I try to think of some character that doesn't talk that I've had an attachment with and I'm coming up with like nothing. So at the very least, you got to give like text responses. Like if you don't want to physically voice that character, you at least got to give me little bubbles of like what I would say. I mean, that's okay. That's fine. I'll, I'll excuse that one. But like those games where like you don't get a choice of anything to say, but you don't hear anybody talking. It's like, if you're not going to give me a choice, you're already going to have this script written, then voice it. Like don't, it it doesn't draw me in. It doesn't make me think I am that character. It's not immersive. It's really disruptive to me. I I hate that. I will nitpick that until the fucking end of time. I fucking hate that. But overall, overall, I think we are both equally nitpicky about different things. Um, So I don't know. Uh, I think, uh, I think there are certain things that neither one of us can let go. Hopefully that answer uh, was sufficient. Parker, thank you very much for writing in and thank you to everyone who wrote in. I really, really appreciate that. Corey, I know you appreciate it too, don't you? Of course, yeah. As long as you send good questions, I appreciate it. Oh, yeah. I, I love hearing from people who listen to us. I love questions, comments, interacting, anything like that. And like we said earlier, if you have a question or a comment for us, please send it in. Uh, we would love to get it. Our contact info will be at the end of the show. Um, and we just we love getting these things. We love responding. So we want to be as interactive as possible. Um, okay, good Q&A, good Q&A this week, and now, and now, now we are like an hour, an hour and 15 minutes or whatever into the show. <laughs> let us get, let's get to what we're actually here for. Uh, this week's main event, the game chat. Uh, we have a couple of news items which are game related, and then they will be followed by our usual meat and potatoes of what we've been playing. Uh, let's see, Corey, this one you brought to my attention and I was a little bit shocked to hear it. Do you want to tell us about what's up with IO Interactive? I do. Uh, as of like three days ago or so, the most breaking news is that IO Interactive, who is most famously known as the developers of the entire Hitman franchise, um, basically Square Enix, who, uh, I believe Square Enix bought, uh, Idis, who originally published, um, IO Interactive's games, um, they decided that they were going to cut all their ties with IO Interactive, and uh, I guess Hitman, uh, the new Hitman episodic series, was not profitable enough for them, and they are cutting their ties with IO. Uh, Rumor has it that they are putting IO Interactive up for sale and have already been talking to uh, investors and other companies about 
uh, about who like potential buys and uh, the earliest or, or the the newest rumors that I've been reading online say that um, I Interactive is still expected to release uh, Hitman season two because uh, they had originally planned three episodic seasons and that they're already like halfway through developing season two right now and that there are basically no plans to stop. Um, but just for a little bit of background info on IO Interactive, they were founded in 1998. Um, uh, IDIS Interactive acquired them in 2004, and the studio became part of Square Enix in 2009. Um, IO has released uh, all the Hitman games, like I said, that's their most famous thing. Um, they did uh, Mini Ninjas, which is probably their like most least known game. It was more of like a kids, like third person, like ninja fighting game. Uh, they did Kane and Lynch, they did Kane and Lynch 2, and they did um, Freedom Fighters, which was a, a cult classic that they released, and that was in, like, the Hitman 2 era. Um, they have, uh, they, they've taken a small part uh, with Square Enix uh, Montreal and doing the Hitman Go uh, mobile game, which is excellent, and uh, Hitman, uh, Hitman Sniper mobile game as well. Um, but basically, they're up for sale, um... I am devastated by this news because the shitty thing about Hitman is that it's a phenomenal game. It's the best the series has ever been. And I think that the episodic way that they released it was definitely like it just made sense and they did episodic content correctly. But I think that uh, either not enough people bought it or Square Enix, and part of this is Square Enix's fault, they just have ridiculously high expectations for what they consider a game to be profitable. Um, so I do want to, I want to get your thoughts on this, Brad. And I also, I've been brainstorming a little bit if I could imagine what publisher I would want to buy IO and take them under their wing and let them release uh, re release their games, which uh, I really only have like one or two in mind, but which ones I've thought of. So Brad, if you want to think about that while you're giving me your input and maybe you might have some thoughts as well. Yeah, sure, sure. I mean, I I am surprised by this because I, I, I have played a little bit of the most recent Hitman game. I, I bought it. I just haven't had time to get around to it. And I am a big Hitman fan, so I'm, I'm definitely going to play it. Um, I, you know, I mean, honestly, looking back at things, I, I, not Eidos, I'm sorry, IO, misspeaking myself, IO has been kind of on a losing streak, to be perfectly honest. I mean, ever since uh, they were bought out, they've churned out a bunch of dogs. I mean, Mini Ninjas was bad. Kane and Lynch 2 was really bad. And that actually sparked off an entire controversy. That was at the, the center of a firestorm about reviewing. That was the one where uh, they were accused of... Um, trying to pay or pay they were going to yank the advertising from uh whatever site that was uh where that got oh god it's like it was a huge thing and I'm, i apologize this was like a giant scandal and so that was like just a bunch of negative uh negative things surrounding it this, so this game was really poor and it just ended up um getting a, a reviewer fired and then it, it started off some of this gamergate shit because people were wondering about like you know collusion and people being bought off via advertising dollars so that was a really terrible place for that game to end up absolution was terrible i hated absolution um so you know i mean i can understand why square enix would be like oh my god like we we, we bought these guys and they've just been churning out dog after dog after dog uh, but it's really unfortunate that they finally turned it around and they finally came up with something good and then they're going to get jettisoned i wonder if this sale had been in the works before they had seen the success of this new recent episodic hitman Maybe the wheels were already in motion and they couldn't stop it for some business reason or something. I don't know. 
Uh, it really unfortunate though, but I think that they will probably land on their feet because I think they have proven that they uh, have gotten the formula back down. I think Hitman has been a real big success from anybody who has played it. I think, like you said, they have proven the episodic model to have worked really well. So I, you know, I don't, I'm not too worried about them right now. I think that was a bad move on the part of Square Enix. Uh, but then again, Square Enix is not exactly making the smartest business decisions lately. I mean, they're pouring who knows how much money into Final Fantasy and Final Fantasy is in a lot of trouble. And uh, I just think that they just are not on a good track as a business. So I think a lot of people would be happy to pick up uh, pick up IO. And I think that someone should. As far as publishers, I mean, I haven't given that much thought. But... Um, I would want them to stay away from someone like EA. I mean, I'm, I mean, I mean, honestly, I would say just I hope Sony would pick them up because I think that would be great. But who knows, man? I mean, what what are your thoughts on it? Um, I had a few thoughts, um, and also something that I forgot to mention earlier. Uh, it's just a little more factual information. Is um, I mean, the thing that kind of kills me is that Hitman season one concluded on Halloween last year, which was like a long time ago. Like. Uh, which means that they have to be like pretty far and deep with developing season two. And what also sucks about them is that that studio just fucking moved into a brand new building. Like, I don't know, like six months ago or something like that. Like they just moved. I think it was in Copenhagen. Um, like they, they just moved into a new building and then they're getting turned out by, by Square Enix. But those are just little things that bother me. But um, a couple publishers that I was thinking about that I would like to take, um, that I would like to see them take them on because I kind of agree with you. I think that, I don't think IO is going anywhere. Um, I, I feel like there, there's got to be a publisher out there that will pick them up because these guys have been working really hard for a really long time on this series and they finally turned out the best, the, the best thing that they've made in a really long time. Um, my my initial thought, which is a little bit off the wall, was um, Devolver Digital, the publishers of uh, Hotline Miami and Hotline Miami 2. Um, they do a lot of small indie games that are usually pretty successful. Um, so I don't know if they would feel comfortable taking on something as big as Hitman, because Hitman is not exactly an indie franchise. But I feel like that would be a good fit, because Devolver just has a very like nonchalant, like you know, kind of like badass motherfucker attitude as far as I'm concerned in the gaming industry. And I feel like that would be a good place for them. My easy answer would be like uh, Deep Silver because they bought like Saints Row whenever they went up for sale. And I think they bought uh, like Red Faction when it went up for sale. And I feel like Deep Silver was just like in it to like buy all these big franchises. And uh, I feel like that they would be an easy mark to pick up Hitman, but uh, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. That is a good call. As soon as you started talking, I didn't. I don't think Devolver would fit because they're they're pretty small. I mean, I like I love them. They like you said. I think everything says correct, but I think Hitman is probably out of their scope right now. I don't think they'd be able to fund that. But uh, I think Deep Silver would be a really good fit. I think that's a good fit as far as the IP goes. Deep Silver is huge. They've got tons of money. They've been very successful with the franchises they picked up. They've been very smart about what they've been putting out. Um, they've been growing, just growing and growing and growing. And I I can remember. The very first game that Deep Silver ever put out, which was called... Uh, it was on the Wii. It was um, a horror game about climbing a mountain. Do you know the one I'm talking about? <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, I'm sure you must have played it. I remember... I, I actually liked it. And it got fairly uh, fairly negative reviews, but I thought it was pretty good. And I remember seeing, huh, Deep Silver, who are these guys? This is weird. And it was just a small little, tiny little horror game. And it did fairly well. And they've been growing and growing. And now they're huge. I mean, they're really big. So I think that would be a good fit. Good, good idea. So hopefully, 
someone will pick them up. Anything anything else on uh, IO before we, we move on, Corey? Uh, I don't think so. I'm just very sad about this, and um, hopefully they come out on their feet because I, that studio knows what they're doing right now, and it's really unfortunate that Square just dropped them cold. Yeah, I mean, fuck Square for doing that, but to be fair, I mean, they they lost their way for a while. They really lost their way for a while, and I'm glad they got it back. I'm sure someone's going to pick them up, and I'm sure it's going to be onwards and upwards for them uh hitman uh from the little i played was fantastic and i'm sure that someone else in the industry feels that same way so we will we will keep an eye on this and we will keep you posted uh next news item something i used to spend a lot of time thinking about not so much lately but it used to really keep me up at night (laughs) uh is about like the the shift from physical to digital media right like i'm a big physical guy I love having stuff on a shelf I can look at. I love being able to pull out a game at any time and play something and not having to wait to like wait for some online authentication or shit like that. I mean, we are really changing as an industry hardcore. I mean, that that's I'm I'm remembering the dinosaur days, but I think that that still has something to say for it. And my good friend and Twitter pal Matt Paprocki, he recently wrote an article over at zam.com. Good article, really well written. It was called the end of Xbox Live Indie Games. Uh, of course, as you may guess, the focus of this article was on Xbox Live, uh, the indie side. But the thing really driving that article is the delisting of downloadable games. Um, so that means basically that games which are available online to download are simply being removed from the service. Uh, and a lot of these games exist only online. Many, 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 many of them do not have a physical disc that you can buy. So when I talked to Matt about this real briefly on Twitter, he pointed me to a website called delistedgames.com, which, as you may have guessed, catalogs titles which are no longer available to download. Um, Part of this is some systems are saying, when they delist a game, they'll say, it's not available for purchase, but if you have bought it in the past, you can still download it. And some of it is just simply removed altogether. Um, as a secondary follow-up to this conversation I was having, uh, a guy named Simon Windmill, who is at Cool Powers, he is a maker of games. He's made, I think, Breakeroids. Um, he was saying, at what point does it become the creator's responsibility to preserve their work? And he has faced this question himself. Um, so the, the thing that really tripped us off was that Alan Wake recently went on sale for 90% off on Steam. Because it was about to be delisted. So you can buy it. I think by the time this podcast comes out, it may be gone. But it was for 90% off. And they told everybody it was about to be delisted. So you could buy it. And you could download it on your hard drive. And as long as it was on your hard drive, it was fine. But if you ever deleted it, you could not re-download it from Steam. It was being permanently delisted. Uh, Luckily, Alan Wake has a disc. So you can buy that uh, if you want to play it on 360 or whatever system it's on. But, you know, it kind of struck me that was kind of a big deal. And I didn't realize... How many games have been delisted? I knew that the Sony PS Mini uh, attempt that came out on Vita a while ago that popped up, had a bunch of games, and then got delisted, and it's gone. You cannot download those games at all anymore. Uh, Xbox Live Indies are going to be gone, and a bunch of other stuff is going to just eventually be gone. So I guess it's kind of a broad question. I don't think either of us are going to have an answer, but like, how do you feel about this, Corey? Like, what do you think about this? What do you think about games just disappearing what do you think about people who buy games may not have the chance to download that again in the future what do you think about 
you know, physical versus digital. What do you think about all this stuff? What's going on? <laughs> Tell me, Corey, what's going on? Uh, well, I mean, I, I don't have any problem with downloading games I or buying them physically. I mean, if it's a big, like, you know, like I bought Resident Evil 7 on disc. I bought uh, Dishonored 2 on disc. Um, I bought Doom on disc. Like, I, I prefer, if given the choice, I prefer disc over digital but i also like my catalog of digital games on my 360 and xbox one and um and playstation 4 is pretty large because a lot of indie games you just cannot you can't get on disc like you said earlier um i mean i think this is a big problem because we're we're all under the impression that if you buy a game on xbox live or on the playstation network or whatever that you suddenly have that game forever and that it's not going anywhere like you treat that game the same as you treat if you go to target and buy you know a game out of the display case and and bring the disc home but the truth is that you know that's not that's not what it is i mean you were just talking about the games that have been delisted i mean the one that hits closest to home for me is PT, uh, the Silent Hills playable teaser demo that came out like three years ago. Um, that was like my game of the year that year. I absolutely adored it. And then Konami pulled it off the PlayStation Network and you can't, there are some like really, really like obtuse workarounds to get it, uh, to download it if you like had downloaded it before, but it's like you have to like get your PC involved and like an extra hard drive and like all this bullshit. Um, but I mean, I, I basically, at the end of the day, it's bad news. Like I don't, I, I don't like the idea of paying for a game and then not having access to it anymore. And I also don't like the idea of a video game being out there on the internet to buy. And then suddenly it's not available anymore. And in the case of Alan Wake, like that is getting pulled because of music licensing. That game has a bunch of licensed music in it. And I guess that uh, Remedy or Microsoft or whoever, whoever's in charge of that, um, either can't continue to pay the music license or they only pay the music license for X amount of years and, um, and don't want to keep funding it. So they're pulling it and that's that. And that's just like a really shitty situation to be in. And, uh, and I mean, on the question of the creators preserving the game, I mean, you can make an argument that, okay, well, say, like, I'm an indie game developer and I'm making a game. Well, obviously, I mean, I don't know the logistics of making a game. I would think that when the game is finished, you could just write the code onto a Blu-ray disc or a DVD or whatever, you know, to have that copy of your game. But, I mean, even so, like, what are you supposed to do? Like, mass produce, like, burned, uh, you know, discs out of your PC at home? Like, that's just not a viable option and it's also an expensive option and like there it's not like you can just call you know your cd press down the street like like limited run games is a big thing where they do uh, like physical releases of of indie games and those are really successful but it's like not it's not it's just it's difficult to mass produce physical copies of games and it's also expensive and then you have to think about you know the discs and you have to think about the packaging and you have to think about the the little cardboard sleeve that goes in the game that has the art on it and all that shit and it's just uh, it's just a mess brad and i don't know what else to say yeah, I mean, I'm sure it's in the end user license agreement. You know that like giant wall of text that we all just like immediately scroll to the bottom <laughs> of and click accept. I'm sure there's something in there that tells you, "Hey, this is not actually yours forever." And I mean, it's just this is the part of thing. I mean, things end after a while. You can't count on 
things that you have quote unquote bought. I mean, we don't really buy things anymore. We are just renting them for a while. I know people like to think that you buy something. Oh, I bought this on iTunes. Oh, I bought this on Amazon. Oh, I bought this on, you know, whatever. But like those things can go away. They can and do go away. If you go to that website, the delisted.com, there's a ton of stuff on there. Stuff that, I mean, a lot of it is, is not what I would consider really critically relevant, but some of it is. And just the fact that some of those things are gone forever I mean, it brings up a couple questions. I mean, if I was a person who worked on those games, I would be really mad that, like, you know, when I give somebody my resume, the thing that I worked on is no longer available. That would be kind of shitty. Also, if I was a customer and I paid for some of these things, and if for whatever reason I wanted to download them again, I'd like it wasn't available, I'd be kind of pissed. So, I mean, that that's, that's one thing. But also, I think from the critical perspective, you can't grow as a medium, like as an art form. You cannot move forward if you forget where you came from. Like, if you do not have works to draw from, if you don't have works to reference, you cannot move forward. And so I think that it's really important to preserve all of these things. I don't know what's being done, and I don't know how it can be done, because I know that licensing is really uh, the the thing that's tripping up a lot of this stuff. I mean, like you said, the licensing uh, music, it had a lot of, like, big-name uh, songs in Alan Wake, and that's why they have to delist it. I'm sure it costs a fortune. But... You know, I, I, you know, something licensed for Microsoft might not be licensed for Sony and vice versa. And then who's going to get the rights and what's the percentage of the profit? But I would hope that after a certain number of years, we could just like upload these things to like a central repository. Like there could be kind of like a, you know, almost like a library of Congress for games. Not that I'm saying the government needs to run it, but just like the same idea of like one big repository where like all the important games or all the games that we feel like we want to come back to, or just maybe just all the games in general would go there where people could like, you know, if you were studying how to be a game designer, you wanted to go back and look at something from 10 years ago. Oh, there's a problem I have. And I heard a platformer from 10 years ago solves this problem. Go back and play it. But, you know, it's so tough. I mean, systems go out of date. Systems break. DVDs and CDs rot, which is really a shocker thing to me. Like, I never thought that was going to happen, but that's a thing. Sometimes you can't download games again. I think there's got to be some kind of system. I hope people are working on this to where games will be archived and maybe we'll maybe we'll someday get to a utopia where you could like maybe go online to like you know gamearchive.com and look at like all these games that are just no longer licensed and maybe maybe you could have them press you one you know like i don't know what's involved maybe hey here's 15 bucks would you mind sending me a copy of you know whatever brute force on the xbox because i really want to check that out i heard they got a good thing going <laughs> and just they send you a disc for it you know like i feel like there's got to be some answer to this where this kind of stuff doesn't need to disappear. I feel like it shouldn't disappear. Like, you know, whenever a book disappears, like it goes out of print and people can't find copies or whenever a movie, like whenever they open a vault and they're like, oh, we we found these really valuable films from a million years ago. It's so great. Look at what they had and look at what we can learn from these. Like, That's amazing. Like, I don't want to see games go um, into the ether. Like they shouldn't just vanish. So I'm really sad to hear about this stuff being delisted. I really hope somebody's working on it. I don't know what the answer will be, but I think we need to find an answer for the sake of the medium and just for the sake of culture, you know, sake of humanity in general. We can't <laughs> we can't let our art go like you can't just let it go because it's just it's a huge loss. So anyway, that is a very big topic, very big topic. We're not going to solve it tonight, but it is something to chew on. And that is actually going to bring us to the end of our random news segment this week. Um, and now. Uh, I feel like we've been here for a month, but I'm still excited. I'm still happy to be talking. We're going to get to talk about games we've been playing. Kind of a weird week because uh, I've been putting a lot of time into Zelda, and all I have really new to talk about are quick impressions on a handful of random things. So before we get to that scattershot array, 
Um, let's start off with something a bit chunkier. Uh, Corey, we're going to we're gonna talk with you first, man. I know you've been playing Near Automata, and after all the flack and bullshit and heat and nasty comments I've taken, <laughs> and man, that has been probably my most negative experience all year is putting up that review. God, oh, what a nightmare. That has been such an unpleasant experience. Um, after all that shit that I've taken, I am dying to hear your thoughts. So, Corey, Near Automata, You've been playing it. Let's let's talk about it. What do you think? I uh, about two weeks ago I started playing near, and I believe that I bit off even more of it than you did because I played through the first like game, if you will, where you play as two B and you f- you finish her game, and then you come back and the game starts you as nine S, who's like her uh, like uh, I don't know buddy or whatever, um, and the game and her partner if you will and you play through more or less the entire game again uh, almost the exact same game again but as a different character and then you get to the third play of the game and you kind of jumble back and forth between 9s and 2b in the third uh, the third time through and the third time is whenever things start to change up a little bit and it's not the exact same plot all over again it's more of like the the part two to the story that you play through the first and the second section. And, uh, I put a total of about maybe 30 hours in. Um, and I gave up, uh, Brad, I don't know why people like this game. Like, honestly, it is so boring. The combat is so boring. It's so uninspired it is super button mashy. It is not interesting in any way, shape, or form. The world that you explore is really dull. It is way too big than it needs to be. It takes for fucking ever to get anywhere in the world whenever it should be a little more compact and a little smaller. The characters aren't interesting. The story, although everybody says it gets better later, the story is totally dull for the first, like, almost like like 20 hours of gameplay or so like literally when i was doing my 9s playthrough my my second playthrough i would only fight things if the game like locked me in an area and made me fight things i was literally just running from point a to point b to get through that play as fast as i possibly could because i could not handle how dull the game was i uh, like, I, I just don't get it, Brad. Like, there are people on Twitter who are like, this is my favorite game of all time. And I'm like, w- are we playing the same game? Because this game is boring as hell. There is nothing about this game that is interesting to me. And I gave it a really long shot. I played it for like 30 hours. And the part that I gave up on was a part that I can only describe as a segment that bundles the worst compounding gameplay elements on top of each other that is just awful you you're playing as a section where you're 2b and she gets a virus and she like stumbles around she can't attack she can't jump she phases in and out for like 15 seconds she'll be like stumbling and limping along and then for 15 seconds she'll be moving normally and you have to get like all the way across the map before the virus spreads and kills her And you get to a point where you have to do platforming, but you have to wait until the virus cools off for like the 15 seconds or whatever so she can actually jump. 
but there's enemies hitting you, and she'll be limping, unable to attack, unable to block, unable to dodge their attacks in any way, and they'll punch her, and she'll go flying like 100 feet away, and whenever enemies attack you when you're in like the stunned virus state, you, you don't recover and, and turn to the normal state where you can like run and jump and stuff. So it's like, I tried it like three or four times and I kept getting to this one section where I would, I would, you'd have to wait for her to like regain her stamina so that she could jump around and enemies would just keep attacking me and they would keep punching me and I would keep like flying off a building or flying to the other side of this like field or something and I couldn't get anywhere. And it's like all of the worst possible gameplay designs you could possibly take and put into one segment. And it was so infuriating, like that there's there wasn't any way I could get out of it or any way I could beat it and it's just so frustrating I I fucking hate this game and I don't understand why people <laughs> like it and I gave it the biggest benefit of the doubt like I knew a lot of people liked it I knew you didn't like it I played it for 30 hours and I still walked away thinking that this game is garbage and I just don't get it Brad Wow. Wow. You gave it. Yeah, you gave it way. I mean, the absolute fairest shot anybody could possibly ask for. 30 hours is a really long. In fact, yeah, you did play actually longer than I did. I did not finish uh, 9S's story because I was so bored. I just really did not appreciate being made to play the exact same game again with just very slight differences. It was so boring. But, you know, I'm, 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 I'm surprised because... Everybody says, oh, yeah, the 9S, which is the second playthrough, is really boring. That was bad. But when you get to the third one, that's when it takes off. And you were, like, well into that one, and it just didn't click for you, huh? Yeah, it did not. Um, and I looked up some online guides to see. Like, I looked up YouTube videos of the section that I was stuck on to see if I were missing something or whatever. And, I f and from what I could gather, I was pretty far into the third playthrough, like, maybe, like, 70 or 80 percent of the way in so i was like if i'm correct on what i was looking up i was almost done with the third playthrough and i still like i mean it does a few interesting things every once in a while but they're so shallow that the rest of the game like it's just like it's such a dull game it's so dull like there's nothing like, the action isn't interesting. Like, the least you could do if you're a third-person, like, sort of, like, hack-and-slashy action game, like a melee action game, the very least you could do is have good action in your game. And this game does not have good action at all in any way, shape, or form. All you do is spam the attack button and spam the dodge button at the same time to try to time your dodges correctly and just do that like there, there's or use your little drone i put on easy mode and i put in the chip that to use the auto drone firing because i was holding the drone firing button anyway so i was like well why not just turn on easy mode and let the drone fire for itself uh because you know it'll just save me from holding a button down the whole time it's just so so dull i cannot believe so many people are in love with this game i do not get it and i gave it the fairest shake i possibly could yeah, if after 30 hours it was not clicking, I don't see that anything was going to make it click for you. I mean, I'm I'm with you, man. I was a big fan of the first Nier, and this was a huge disappointment to me. I felt like the action was really dull. The world was really dull. I felt like this this the story didn't click. I mean, everything about it just it just I was just not connected to it. Did not did not get into it. And I even today, I even saw a guy today saying this was his favorite game of all time. And I'm like, <laughs> man, like how are like what are you guys getting out of this? Like. 
I, I feel like I need to just keep playing it just so I can just finish it and just so I can say with authority that this game is just not as great as people are saying it is because I feel like it's gotten... Uh, somehow it's, it's clicked into like the, uh, critical sphere intelligentsia where everybody who's like a smarty pants is, is picking this as like their smartest game ever for whatever reason. Um, I, you know, I don't, I don't want to pick on it because I like the writer. I mean, I've been a fan of his for a while and I championed the hell out of the first near. Like I was standing up for that game when no one else was standing up for that game. You can go back. I mean, I've got, uh, I am on the record as being a, a, a defender of the first near like to the death. But man, this game just is not clicking with me, and it's it's bizarre. I, I'm with you, man. I don't get why people like this game so much. I mean, it's not like I wish the creator ill, but I just I just don't think this is his best thing, and I just I'm really surprised. So maybe it just takes a cute anime chick with a, an adorable butt to make it into the <laughs> critical love zone. So who knows, man? Who knows? But I'm very glad to hear you say that, and this will probably be the last time we ever have to discuss near on this show. Uh, I feel like we've given it more than it's due, but I could not let this pass without hearing your take. And I'm very <laughs> glad. I'm very glad we were on the same page. Um, as far as other updates go, uh, we're going to get a couple more from you before we go to me. I really want to know Andromeda. Where are we at in Andromeda, bud? What's going on in Andromeda? How's that quest going? Um, okay, so we talked about Mass Effect Andromeda like two or three shows ago. And I literally have not put it back in my PlayStation 4 since we talked about it the last time. Oh, really? Is that good, huh? It's just, I, there's nothing about it that makes me want to play more of it. Like, it's just that simple. Like, there's nothing alluring about the game, the story, the characters, the combat that makes me think, man, I wish I were playing more Mass Effect right now. And I, I mean, I still have it on my coffee table because I'm running it from Gamefly, so there's a chance that I might dive back in, especially now that I'm more or less finished with Prey. But um, yeah, I, there's just nothing about it. I, I never, ever sit during the day and think, man, I should try Mass Effect again. It just, ne that thought never crosses my mind. Yeah, I know that feeling. <laughs> I mean, you know, as we discussed, we're both huge Mass Effect fans and both of us uh, left pretty cold by this. And interestingly, um, they just announced that the team is not working on the next Mass Effect right now. They've been, did they, did they get disbanded or something about like some of those people have been moved to other studios. It seems like um, they're going to let Mass Effect sit for a while, um, which is a smart idea. They really did not do this one justice. And I'm glad that they're not putting any more resources in. They're not going to rush one out. I think whoever's in charge of whatever's going on at Bioware and EA they, they must realize they fucked up. Like, this was a problem. This was not the right thing to do. So, uh, you know, I hope nobody lost their job. I mean, hopefully they just got transferred. I don't know exactly the detail, details of that, but I'm glad to hear that we're not, like, getting the next game right away. I think this one was kind of a clusterfuck. So, anyway, I'm, yeah, Mass Effect Andromeda not, not happening. But Prey, you were, you were, you were pretty hot on Prey uh, last episode. Where are we with Prey? Give us an update. Um, I was hot on Prey, still hot on Prey. Uh, one thing I want to say about, um, about like reviewing video games, because, okay, so like I said on the last show, I've been playing Prey for review. I got a review copy from, uh, from Bethesda. 
And one thing that I feel like maybe I don't like the general public, if you will, um, like don't quite realize about game reviewing is that so so I finished I finished Prey. I'm done. I'm done with it, but I'm still playing it. And I'll get to that in a second. I finished Prey um, first playthrough uh, was about 30 hours, almost exactly, maybe like 30 and a half or something. Wow. Um, wow. So and this is the kind of game like we talked about on the last show. It's a Corey ass Corey game. I looked in every nook and cranny that I could possibly think of. There are actually some uh, trophies that I missed, like finding everyone on the station and reading all the emails that I missed. And I was like, how the hell did I miss those? Like, I thought I explored everything on the station, but that's beside the point. But one thing about um, video game reviewing is that, that, that I think some people don't realize is it's having to play and test certain things in the game that you would not normally do because I finished Prey and you have, uh, we talked about on last show, they have this thing called neuromods in the game. It's a lot like splicing in Bioshock where you have different human abilities you can upgrade and about two hours in you gain uh, three skill trees for alien abilities you can upgrade and they lead you to believe in the game that if you upgrade alien abilities, maybe you'll get like a different ending or maybe like some shit will happen differently down the line. And me uh, being the guy that I am, I was like, okay, well, I will stick to human upgrades for the first playthrough. Uh, maybe there'll be like a trophy for it. You know, I don't want to risk, you know, my humanity or whatever in the game. Uh, and so I finished the game and I was satisfied and I'm not going to spoil it, you know, if good or bad or whatever happened from sticking to human upgrades. But, um, but I finished it and I thought to myself, like, okay, I, I really need to play this game more and test out the alien abilities uh, because what if, like, what if the alien abilities aren't good or what if they're buggy or what if they're broken or, you know, or maybe they make the game even better. And, you know, it's one of those things where I, I try to think about as like, like as like to review something fairly, like, you know, there, there's stuff in the game that you might not want to do or maybe stuff that's bad, but you can't just write that stuff off. Like you have to test it and you have to like, you know, at the very least kind of dip your toe in it and try it a little bit. It's kind of like multiplayer whenever you review games. Like I don't like multiplayer, but I always test it out whenever I'm playing a game just so that I can say I did. And if there's anything great or anything bad about it that I can comment on it, because otherwise I would be leaving some of the content off the table that I'm reviewing. Um, so I started a second play in Prey and uh, there's actually a trophy for doing one playthrough with only human abilities and doing one playthrough with only alien abilities. And I have to say, even though I'm playing it on easy mode my second time through, um, as I did the first time through, playing it with only alien abilities is going to be really hard because you you don't you have to scan animal or scan like the mimics and the, the typhon things to to learn about them to unlock the abilities first of all. So it like takes a long time to even figure out the abilities you can upgrade. And there are like major human upgrades that I want that I can't get, like the ones to give you more wrench damage or give you better health kit usage or give you a bigger health bar or give you, um, I might've already said this, a bigger inventory. Um, like I can't buy any of those things anymore. And for my second play, because I'm trying to do the alien thing and like, I don't even know if I'm going to be able to do it. Um, it might be really, really hard. I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to finish it, but I'll at least, uh, you know, get a chance to test out some of the alien stuff before I really dive into my review. But um, I know I've been talking about this for like 10 minutes, but the last thing I'm going to say is that I, I did enjoy Prey a lot. I think it's an excellent game. The only thing that really hung me up a little bit is that um, um, there are... Uh, that the end of the game kind of does the same thing that Resident Evil 7 does, where it gets a little action-heavy at the very end of Prey. 
And I do not appreciate that because, um, because the game is not meant to be an action game. Like I made that very clear on the last show. I talked about how I don't like the combat in it. I don't think the combat is well tuned, but then I doubled back and said, okay, well, it's not tuned well because it's not supposed to be an action game. This isn't, you know, doom, but the game gets a little more action packed in like the very last leg. And I don't think that was the right decision for them to make going in or like going out of the game because the last leg of the game is very hard because it's not supposed to be an action game, but the game kind of tries to get all action-y. And the other thing I wanted to say before I shut my mouth about Pray Forever is that this game has the longest fucking load times out of like any game I have ever played, I think. It, like, it's not so bad at the beginning of the game because you go in an area, the, the game areas are segmented kind of like in Dishonored where, you know, you have the lobby, you can explore it as much as you want, and then you go to like the hardware division and then the game loads between the lobby and the hardware division. And the loading screens between areas, um, I took some, some sample load times so I could do some scientific measuring here. Brad, are you interested in these numbers? I am always interested in science. All right. Well, I took a sample of 22 load times between areas. Um, basically, I had my phone next to me. As soon as I opened a door for the game to load, I pressed the start button on my stopwatch. And then as soon as the little like press X to continue came up, I would press stop on it. I took 22 load time samples between areas. And then none of these were for dying and restarting. Because if you die and you load from dying, they're far shorter. These are just for exploring. Um, the average load time between areas is 69 seconds. So that is that's, more that's than a minute. That's a sexy number. Yeah, that's I mean, a, it is. A, that's a good number. Haha. <laughs> I mean, it's a lot better if you're not sitting there waiting and doing nothing for all 69 seconds. But 69, That's a long time. I mean, that's a pretty long time. Like, it's like more than a minute of just like sitting there staring at a screen. I bet it feels like twice as long or three times as long probably. Yeah, it's terrible. Like, And the longest load time I encountered was... 81 seconds, which is really long. The shortest I encountered was, I think, 51 seconds. So even then, it's still close to a minute. So every time you go between areas in this game, you're basically guaranteed to be sitting and looking at a loading screen for about a minute, if not a little bit longer. And this is on a PlayStation 4 Pro, and I read online that the PS4 Pro has slightly better load times than an Xbox One. Uh, I don't know about the PC version. I'm sure the PC like depends on how like ridiculous your PC is or how like souped up it is or whatever. But I mean, we're talking PS4 Pro load times with 69 second average load times between areas. And if you're like at the end of the game, once you're finished exploring and you're kind of like running your ass off like I am back and forth between areas or among areas, uh, to explore, to get places to do things. I mean, you're basically hitting a load screen. Probably, like, you're spending about a minute in an area and then waiting a minute and then spending a minute in an area and then waiting a minute. And I, I hope that there's a way that they can patch this in the future or something because I think minute-plus load times is super unacceptable for 2017 gaming on the best console you can buy. That is pretty long. I was going to ask you how often you were going to be hitting those. And if you're spending a minute in and a minute out, that's pretty terrible. Well, I mean, so. er, like I said, early in the game, it's different because like if you're a player like me, I go in an area and I could spend like an hour exploring, you know, because I'm that kind of gamer. But once you get toward the end and you've like already explored everything and you're just kind of going through the paces at the end of the game to get everything finished. It's much worse at the end of the game if you're an explorer like I am toward the beginning. But if you're not an explorer and 
you're like crit pathing it the whole time, then I mean, you might as well get like Lord of the Rings and put it next to you whenever you're uh, playing this game because you'll probably be able to finish it in the time it takes you to sit through all the load times. Yeah, I was gonna say like a minute, dude. That's like enough for me to get antsy. Like I'll be checking Twitter. Or I'll like I'll actually play some Marvel Puzzle Quest like in between. <laughs> like you know, like that sucks to have a game to play when you're playing your game. Like that's that's not good. So, well, it sounds like other than that, you finished uh, pretty high on it, right? I mean, uh, I'm assuming, I mean, don't spoil anything here, but I'm assuming your official GameCritics.com review is going to be pretty positive, eh? Oh, totally, yeah. Like, I I really do adore this game. It just has, like, a small handful of issues for me. But overall, yeah, total thumbs up to Prey. I adore it. If this is... Uh, like, I know this isn't your kind of game, Brad, but if you're somebody who's interested in, like, something that's like Deus Ex or Bioshock or um, a little bit of Half-Life 2, then totally, totally recommend this game. Right on, right on. Uh, sounds good. Not going to play it, but it still sounds good. <laughs> uh, quick update for me. Uh, most, I mean, like I said earlier, uh, most of what I've been doing is playing Zelda. I really want to finish uh, Breath of the Wild. And I got I to gotta say, this game is... It's just big. It's it's too big. Like, I think, honestly, it's too big. Uh, I, you know, I've been playing it for at least an hour or two hours a day before I go to work in the morning, sometimes longer. And I can just, like, spend so much time walking from point A to point B. And, you know, like, I mean, there's work points and stuff, but you got to find secrets. You got to find these little shrines that are hidden all over the place so you can get solve the puzzles and get the goodies inside. You can't skip those. And, uh, you know, just just what's walking around. It's just like a massive, massive, just too much. It's too big. There's too much stuff to do. It's ridiculous. It's really ridiculous. It's hard to exactly convey how large that game is. I mean, it's not the biggest game I've ever played, and it doesn't have the most content. I mean, other games have been bigger. But for what it is, it's really, really big. And I feel like um, I wish there was a way to just get through it quicker. And I know some people are like, yeah, but you can finish it within the first half an hour. <laughs> yeah, I'm not talking about like superhuman speed running and shit. Like I know, yeah, I know you can finish it within the first five minutes or whatever. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm just talking about I wish that the average player like myself could could just go and get what needs to be done, and then do that, get whatever you need to get to the last battle, and just you know just just get it done in a reasonable amount of time. Um, I'm. I'm not exactly crit pathing it, but I'm not exactly going after every side quest. I'm skipping a lot of stuff. I'm kind of like rushing through areas, you know, I'm not being as, as thorough as I probably should be, but man, there's just so much. And it's like, it's getting to the point where I still think it's a good game and I still enjoy it, but I kind of want it to be over before I get sick of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I just, I just have a lot left. I've got like two, uh, quote unquote temples left and then I have to earn enough hearts to be able to use the master sword and that's going to be a little bit of work and if I want to survive I have to collect some stuff to upgrade my armor because my armor is not strong enough to stand up to battle and I feel like the money is really off like money things are really expensive that you need to buy and they, they're not exactly forthcoming with the money so I had to sell a bunch of stuff out of my inventory that I probably am going to need later so I was a little <laughs> bit hesitant about that but it's like if I didn't get that thing, then I wasn't going to be able to progress and I really wanted to make some progress. I mean, it's not a bad game, but I definitely think there are a lot of issues that could be addressed. And I think that um, it would have been reasonable to like just scale the whole thing down, just make it a little bit smaller or at least make it more possible to just get through the, the necessary stuff quicker. I will also say, um, not to spoil anything, but 
in this game, Link is waking up after a long slumber, and part of the game is he's got amnesia, and oh my god, I mean, f just fuck amnesia in general. Like, fuck amnesia. I hate when amnesia comes up as a game mechanic. I hate it as a part of the story. I wish we could all just, like, just for five years, nobody do an amnesia story. Just please don't. Um, it's not the worst I've ever seen, but I'm kind of tired of it. And part of the game is Link finding his memories. And I am actually kind of surprised to say that I do actually like his memories. I think it's it's adding an element to the game that I really appreciate. And I think it, I don't want it to be there, but the fact that it is there, it's done fairly well. But when I see these memories about what had happened in the past, I kind of wish the game was set in the past. I think it would have made it more, I mean, kind of, it, it, it would have made things more current. It would have had more forward motion. It would be more fun to talk to those characters rather than just see them in your memories. It seems like they got a pretty good cast that, you know, you only see them for like 40 seconds at a time because it's a cutscene. I know some people were like, yeah, but that would mean that you wouldn't be wanting the world in isolation and, and you wouldn't have the sadness of the world that was gone by. And I'd be like, you yeah, know, that's okay. That's fine. I think you could still wander the world. I think you could still structure the game to where you could still, you know, get that exploration feeling. I, I realize that's valuable and I do like it. But at certain point, I just kind of feel like walking around looking for things is just, it's not enough. Like, it's not enough to really keep me going. I wish that there was more character-driven stuff. I wish there was more urgency to what was going on. Uh, so I don't think it's perfect. I don't think it's a 10 out of 10. I don't think it's like, you know, the second coming of Christ. Uh, because that is clearly near Automata. But, yeah, I don't know, man. I mean, it's good. It's good. I don't want to sound down on it because it's good. But I, you know, I'm planning on doing a second opinion for the game. And I, I feel like... Um, I probably should spend most of that review talking about the areas where it needs work and it needs to be just really looked at a little bit harder. I'm kind of uh, bumping up against some of the, the, the rough sides that people just really kind of hand-waved away. So uh, that's where I'm at with Zelda. I'll probably talk about it one more time when I finish it, which will probably be sometime in 2019. I still have plenty <laughs> of this game left. I have too much of that game left. Um, otherwise, I've just been dipping into a lot of really, really quick stuff, a lot of um, betas and demos. Uh, but one thing that's not is Berserk and Band of the Hawk. Uh, I just got this from Gamefly. It is a Muso game, also known as a Dynasty Warriors style game. And this is based on the Berserk anime franchise, which is really super famous. I am not really much into anime anymore, but even I have heard of Berserk. And so I know that it's about a guy with a giant sword. Hopefully it's made out of lighter material than my cast iron pan. <laughs> And he goes around in some kind of weird world where there's monsters and stuff. I mean, it's 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 a pretty famous anime and 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 manga. I've never read it. Do you are you familiar with Berserk at all, Corey? I have no idea what this is. Okay, so it's pretty famous. Uh, and this, I thought this might be a good place for me to like dip my toe into the series. I've never seen any of the movies. I've never read the books, but I've heard a lot about it. And I figure, oh, okay, well, this is kind of a an all in one thing, and I'll just give it a shot. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, and I just, I just didn't care for it. I mean, I think as far as Musou games go, it's probably okay, but I'm not a big fan of Musou games. And I know that it's kind of become less popular these days to say that Musou games suck, but I think they suck. Like, I just, I just don't like them. <laughs> um, you know, it's the same as any of the Dynasty Warriors games. You jump in, you pick a character, you, you mash buttons and kill 10 bajillion guys. And they, they just like stand there, you know, like they don't really do anything. Uh, you just mow these guys down, mashing buttons. Eventually, a slightly tougher guy shows up. You fight him, and those are those are okay. I don't mind fighting the tougher guys because it's more of a challenge, and it makes it more interesting when they don't die in one hit. But then, you know, you're just kind of like running around killing guys again. I just I just don't like 
that system of game. I don't like that game design. Are you at all a Dynasty Warriors fan? Do you like any of those games, Corey? No, I am in no way, shape, or form. I, I think the whole, like, like the hack-and-slash genre on massive scale does not do anything for me. All right. Yeah, it doesn't do anything for me either. And I thought that maybe, um, you know, I'm not a fan of Dynasty Warriors as a franchise. I thought maybe with new characters, maybe there would be a little bit more story. Maybe that would be the thing to kind of get me through this. But nah, I just I just don't like that style of game. It is not for me. I don't think it's interesting. Uh, the owner of the site, Game Critics, Chi Kong Liu, he's a big Dynasty Warriors fan. I don't know if he listens to the podcast. I hope he does. But I don't know if he does. Chi, if you're listening... I know you love these games, and I'm sorry, bro. I just I, I hate these games a lot. You know that though. We've we've covered this territory many times on the GameCritics.com podcast. I I just couldn't get through it. But I will say, I will say, despite my dislike of the Muso formula, um, I did want to go and read the books, and I did want to watch the anime. I mean, I'm interested in the world and the characters, and I I kind of want to know what's going on. It seems like my kind of jam thematically. Uh, but this was not my entry point. Maybe I'll go and check out the anime. Maybe I'll get a book from the library. Who knows? But uh, yeah, I did not play it for very long. I think I got maybe three or four missions in and I just I, I couldn't press X anymore. I just didn't want to. <laughs> couldn't do it. I was done. So I sent that one back. Um, I got a couple more things that we're going to go through really, really quickly. But before that, uh, Corey, you've been playing Narcosis. What's Narcosis all about? Oh, my God, Narcosis. Uh, don't even get me started. Okay, so Narcosis is... I did not write down the factual information for this, and I really apologize. Um, it is a first-person horror game. Oh, I should have written this stuff down. I, it just came out on Xbox. Uh, Xbox, um, Xbox One... Uh, digital only i think it was out on pc but i don't want to yeah, say that for sure was it, was. it? Okay. I, I owe you an apology man i let you down i was doing the script this week and i was in such a rush to get it done that i forgot to do all the game information and also listeners i know that we've been starting to do like publisher and developer and price point I, th- my fault i totally dropped the ball on that <laughs> it's not Corey's fault don't think any less of him it was on pc first and it's just now on xbox one so please continue all right cool cool so um I took this game to review it for for Game Critics uh, whenever I saw one of your emails with review games. And I, and I think I had heard of this game a while ago, and then I had forgotten about it. And then I saw I looked it up when I saw your, your email, and I was like, oh, yeah, like, I mean, it's first-person survival horror, so that's, like, way, like, way up my alley. That's, like, I, like, live for, I, I live for, like, like stealthy action games, first person survival horror and, um, and like walking simulators. Like that's all me. And, and it looks like, it looks a lot like Soma, which was my game of the year, like two years ago because it's underwater. I like diving suit, um, like research facility, like scary shit. And I read on uh, the Microsoft website, they had like a little developer blog about it where I guess that this game had been in development for so long that, like Soma was announced like while this game was in development and then released while this game was in development. And so in the back of my mind, I was thinking like, okay, well, if this game's not great, the developers are probably just using this as an excuse. Like, like, oh, this little indie game, you know, like, oh, well, we were working on this before Soma was released and then Soma came out and, you know, kind of using that because it's, it's undeniably similar to Soma. But... Uh, it's about a guy who is on some kind of like underwater research mission with a bunch of other uh, like uh, another staff, I guess, um, at the bottom of the ocean. I'm not exactly sure where they are. 
And basically you're at the bottom of the ocean in this facility. You're out on like a little dive instruction thing, like looking for stuff at the, at the, on the ocean floor. And an earthquake hits like eight or 10 miles away from the research facility. And like the blowback and uh, like the, the waves, the aftershocks, if you will, from the, from the earthquake um, affect the research facility. And they basically like rupture some of the walls. So here I am thinking like, all right, this little indie game ain't going to be shit. Like, this is going to be easy. It's going to be stupid. And honestly, like, I thought I had reached my, like, peak for what would scare me in first-person horror games. Because, like, I love horror games. I've played almost all the Resident Evils, all the Silent Hills, PC, Layers of Fear, Soma. Like, you name it, if it's a horror game, and I've probably played it. And, and I love it. But little did I know, there's something that exists and horror games that I don't think I've seen in video games yet, and it is my new standard for something that scares me so much that I will immediately freeze in my tracks and and basically not be so scared to move forward that I will not move forward. And Brad, do you want to take a guess at what that thing is? I'm trying to think of what it could be, but I know you're pretty hardcore, dude. Like, I'm, I'm the scaredy cat of the show. Like, I've got that territory <laughs> mapped out. Um, so probably stuff that's no big deal to you is scares the piss out of me. I'm trying to think of what could possibly scare you. I mean, I'm sure it's nothing as pedestrian as, as, uh, zombies or demons. I mean, it can't be that. And you don't seem to really be bothered by jump scares. Um, I'm assuming you're not too bothered by dark. I mean, what is it like, uh, some kind of underwater type of phobia or something? Or I I don't know. I I have no idea, dude. What, what is it? It's fucking spider crabs. Spider crabs? Those are delicious. <laughs> no, they are not. Oh my god. So, like, ten minutes into this game, this game's, like, really linear. I want to make that clear. It's not, like, a very explorational game. And it's very linear. It's very jump-scare-heavy. Which, like, on one hand is, like, kind of cheesy because you basically have to walk into, like, every scare that the game is giving you. Um, but, like, ten or fifteen minutes into this game... You're like underwater and you're like walking, you're trying to get back to the research facility. You're trying to see if it's safe. You're trying to see if it's damaged and you're walking through this like underwater cave thing. And the game has very limited combat. You have a little like knife in your left hand that looks like a friggin' pocket knife. You press one button and like he swings it. It's not effective at all. And you have flares that shoot out of like a little cannon thing on your right wrist, but they don't hurt enemies. They just light up areas and you like hold left bumper and there's like an arc that comes out of his arm and then you press, you release it and like the flare shoots on the arc. It's like throwing a grenade in video games. Well, you get, you get up to this area and all of a sudden these like little spider crabs start like walking out from behind you and like walking in front of you and they're not attacking you or anything. But one of my greatest fears is spiders. I, I, I'm terrified by spiders. Like in real life, um, like I, I do not like spiders at all. They scare me a lot. And and so spider crabs are also scary because they look just like fucking spiders, but they're crabs, and that's also scary because crabs are gross. And they make a very distinct <laughs> noise in the game. They Like, I play it with headphones on in the dark, as any horror gamer should, and they make a very... The spider crabs make a very distinct noise in, in the game. It's like a kind of like a skittery noise. And so as soon as you hear the noise, you know that there's spider crabs, like, close. And you walk through this cave thing, and there's, like, this giant fucking spider crab like in this dark corner of this cave and all you can see are it's like front like spider legs sticking out of the darkness of the cave 
because you know it's like crouched up in the back of the cave. And honestly, it is the it's the most effective use of a spider-like object early in a game that I've seen since Limbo because everybody knows Limbo at the beginning of the game the giant shadow spider is like really scary it's just like that and this freaking spider crab is like hunched back in this cave I'm like getting chills right now just thinking about it and I'm like standing there like an idiot like trying to shoot flares at it to see if it'll like I like hurt it in any way. And of course it just stands there. All I do is light it up to like see it even more. And it scares me to death. And so I very, very hesitantly walk up to the spider crab. Cause I don't know what the fuck else to do. I'm like, well, maybe I can like cut its leg off with my, with my little pocket knife or something. And I get like within like a two foot range of it. And it immediately throws one of its spider crab arms out and just stabs me right in the stomach and it kills me. Cause it breaks the seal on my suit and I'm dead immediately. <laughs> And so I restart and I do it again and I'm like walking down the same, the same, the same cave and I see it again and I start panicking and all of a sudden it starts walking toward me and I start panicking even more and I like back my ass up into this like little ravine and it walks past me and I'm like panicking the whole time. And then I, luckily I get past it and everything's fine. And then I get to the research facility and I think that I'm going to be safe in the research facility. But of course you go in and you open the airlock and the whole thing's filled with water. So like, it's one of those brilliant moments where like, you think you're going to get to safety and then you walk in and the whole thing's flooded and you realize that there is no safety in this game. And I walk down a few hallways in this research facility and it's deserted. There's like a few dead bodies here and there. And the game like catalogs the crew as you find them, uh, when you find their dead bodies. And I walk into this big, like, research room, and there's, like, kind of like a hole where the ceiling's caved in, and there's, like, a door on the other side, and there's, like, a big oval table in the middle. And there's, like, where the ceiling caved in, there's a giant spider crab in the ceiling, and there's one, like, in the doorway. (laughs) And I was so scared, and I couldn't, like, I couldn't bring myself to walk through that room. And in the game, it gives you a magnificent sense of urgency because you have an oxygen tank, and you pick up oxygen tanks in the environment as you go. So if you don't, if you don't progress, you're fucked. Like, you'll run out of oxygen, and you die. And I swear to you, Brad, I stood in that room and let my oxygen run out and died because I was too scared to move <laughs> oh past the spider crabs. They're so scary, Brad. Like I cannot I, believe you chose suffocation over walking uh, through the room with spider crabs. It's so, oh my God. Like, uh, uh, like stuff like this usually doesn't get me that. I mean, I've played games with zombies. I played games with monsters and ghosts and, and all this stuff, but it's fucking spider crabs. Like they're so oh god they're so scary and every time like i hear the noise of them like chittering in the video game i just like say the word fuck out loud and i get scared and i just know that there's gonna be one like down the hallway and i can't like i can't handle it it's been a long time probably since like alien isolation where i i have put a game down a horror game down and i have been scared to turn it back on because i get so stressed out that i don't that I don't want to play it anymore, you know? And like, this, this game is that for me. And it's because of fucking spider crabs. Like out of all the things that could scare me, it's spider crabs. They're so big and they're so scary and they just give me the creeps (laughs) and they stress me out so much. So, I mean, honestly, like thumbs up for this game. I, I've only played it for an hour and a half, but it's like, I like, you know, I thought, all right, this is going to be some stupid indie horror game and it's going to be dumb, but it is really like, 
getting to the core of my fear of spiders and crabs and it's just oh man brad it's so stress it stresses me out so wow i i never thought uh that we would find a horror game that just freaked (laughs) you the fuck out you sound totally freaked out dude like we we played uh horror games we've we've talked about horror games and you seem just like so nonchalant like you're just like oh man i'm mr horror i wear like you know dark hoodies at nighttime and i wear the (laughs) headphones and nothing scares me and then man we uh, you you have a weakness. You have an Achilles heel. I never in a million years would have guessed it was spider crabs. Boy, it sounds like you were freaking the fuck right out. Do you think you're going to be able to finish this? Oh, I'm totally going to finish it. Like, for sure. Because the game itself is is quite good. I mean, it's linear. It does a lot of things. Like, Lay- Layers of Fear, which is a game that came out last year, which, uh, which I think is super underrated. I love Layers of Fear. It does a lot of the same psychological things. Because the game plays out like an episode of... Uh, have you seen that TV show, I Shouldn't Be Alive, Brad? I don't think so. I've heard of it, though. It's like it was on like uh, like, uh, I don't know, like real TV or something. But it's basically a show where people who were like stranded in the desert or in an ocean or something. And like basically they they survived under miraculous odds. They like do interviews with them and they do like reenactments of the situations they were in. The game is basically like I shouldn't be alive. The game like trapped underwater in in a in like a research station because the guy is like talking you through it and he's talking you through it all like the guy you're playing as almost as if he's like remembering the situation and not like he's currently in it but it does a lot of um psychological things too where like you walk to the end of a of a hallway and you get to like a, a, a circular room that has like diving suits in it and like you walk up to the diving suits and then you turn around and suddenly the door and the hallway that led you there are gone and you're just like spinning around frantically like trying to figure out how to get out of these these diving suits and it's stuff like that so like it has the jump scares like the obvious like you turn around and there's like a squid in your face or a fucking spider crab in the room but it also has like the psychological stuff where you know the the door disappears and you turn around or you walk in a room there's like a section that has this almost inception like thing where the room is like kind of folded over on itself and suddenly it's like you have to like climb on the desks to get to doors and so it's really really well done i hope that it keeps it up and but i just don't want to play it anymore brad because it's so it stresses me out so much <laughs> well that is a good recommendation if it freaks our horror maven out that uh it seems like something that other horror fans would do well to key into uh narcosis currently on xbox one is where you're playing it uh yeah i don't think it's on ps4 i think it's xbox one and pc exclusive Xbox One PC. That sounds scary. I will mark that off my list. Not going to be playing that at all. Uh, but yeah, wow. I don't think I've ever heard you so frightened. So that is definitely something to watch out for. You guys heard it here first. Uh, spider crabs. <laughs> spider crabs, the animal of uh, 2017 and the new mascot for our show. <laughs> God, no. <laughs> Never. <laughs> all right. We have been recording for a crazy long time. I got a couple really quick things to go through and then we will wrap it up. And thank you to everybody who is still listening. Um, so there's been a bunch of betas, beta slash demos recently. And I've actually been playing a lot of these because, uh, you know, still trying to put as much time in the Zelda as possible to just get it wrapped up. And I don't want to start anything else big. So I've been taking these as they've been coming. Um, the first one is called Dreadnought. Now, this one, I've actually been waiting, like, I want to say, like, three years to play this. I first saw it at PAX, uh, PAX West, as it's called now. It was PC only, uh, but it was being represented by a really cool PR dude who's a good friend of mine, and he brought me over, showed me the game. I thought the game looked fantastic. Uh, It's basically, like, 
It's it's a space spaceship like five on five kind of PvP game. I'm not. Sh I think there's also like a, a co-op mode in it as well. Uh, but basically, you are controlling these immense ships. So like, instead of something small, like you know, like a like an X-wing from Star Wars or something like that, like a single person kind of fighter craft, you're playing like the giant, like these huge, enormous ships. And so it's like you and a couple friends uh, go into these arenas that are like low orbit around like these planets and you just like like lay into each other. So if you like the idea of piloting like a Star Destroyer from Star Wars, this is your game. Um, there's like four or five different types of ships. There's also more to come. I believe it's free to play. And, you know, like there's like the tank ship where it's got heavy guns, heavy armor there's like the sniper ship, which is basically like a long cannon with a couple of rockets strapped to the back of it. There's like a small kind of like healer ship. There's a middle middleweight ships, like all sorts of different ships, but they're all really big. And so you're not zooming around the planet like you are very slowly turning because your ship is so fucking big that like you cannot <laughs> stop on a dime. Right. I mean, that's kind of that's kind of the appeal. Like you you really got to think about like where you're going and like what direction you're going and just how you're piloting like it, it kind of reminds me of like um i don't play a lot of like military sims but like seeing some of those like old pirate ship games where you gotta like you know you gotta be broadside at the right time and you gotta time your turn so that you're facing the guy the right way and it, it kind of feels like that but like in space with ships it's really cool i think the ship designs are really cool i think there's an element of customization like it's it's really early beta right now so a lot of the stuff is not working a lot of stuff is not uh, able to be examined, but you can create your own character. You can customize your ship. I think there's a bunch of different ships. I think also that you can customize your crew. Like you pick the people that you want to man the different battle stations of your crew. And I think that they have um, some kind of effect or some kind of personality. So I think there's an investment in this. Like if you really get into it, you can really make your ship your own and kind of uh, have these uh, adventures. It seems pretty cool. Uh, any interest in this, Corey? Are you like a space ship kind of guy space combat anything like that uh i'm not really into this kind of game but i have to say i don't think i've ever really played anything like it but the way you're describing it to me it makes me think of like like the slow moving and tactical nature of uh giant ships in space kind of makes it sound like like space combat meets like super hot kind of i mean yeah i mean basically like your positioning and stuff i mean there's no slow-mo or anything like that and it's third person when you're in your ship. But yeah, kind of the same idea of like being aware of everything in the room, really very carefully moving yourself around. I mean, it, it plays out like in, in, in much slower pace and uh, you have a lot more to deal with. Um, but yeah, if you like the idea of ships flying around, giant, giant, really big, heavy ships flying around in space, I think it's pretty cool. And I, as far as I know, it's going to be free to play. So it probably won't cost you anything to check it out. Just FYI, that one's coming. It's in beta right now. I think there's going to be an open beta. Uh, but yeah, soon. Another beta that I was trying this weekend was... Uh, it's got a terrible title. Raiders of the Broken Planet. Oh, <laughs> stupid. Stupid title. Uh, it comes from Mercury Steam, which are a Spanish developer. I think a very underrated Spanish developer. They put out... Uh, I think they did the first Castlevania... Um, that new one, the... Uh, the new 3D one that had, like, uh, it was out on 360. You know what I'm talking about? It had Patrick Stewart as the voiceover. Uh, was that Lords of Shadow? Yes, thank you. Lords of Shadow. I believe they did Lords of Shadow. 
They did Lords of Shadow 2, which I thought was a really, really good game, and apparently everybody in the world thought it was terrible. I thought it was really, really good. <laughs> did you play that by any chance? Uh, Lords of I, Shadow play, 2? I think I played about an hour of both of them and didn't really like either of them. I did not click with the first one, although I bought it and I planned to give it a second shot, but I, I jumped into Lords of Shadow 2. I thought it was very, very, very good. I know a couple people had some problems with the stealth element in that game, which was just a really very small part of that game, but like overall... Very impressive work. Um, but apparently that's just me. No one else thinks that. Uh, so they're coming out with Raiders of the Broken Planet. It seems like kind of a weird move. Um, they seem like more traditional console developers, but this is an online multiplayer shooter that's asymmetrical where a couple people are on a team of like three or four and then they're going up against one person on the other side. Uh, and you're kind of like, the, the people on the team have to get a couple of goals done like they have some objectives they need to do and the one person on the other side is trying his best to like disrupt them or to like stop them from doing what they're doing it it's really early like i mean i'm not even sure why they even put the beta out honestly because it looks fine enough but they don't really talk very much about how to play the game uh you know i didn't really get a deep understanding of what was going on with the game i like the character design i think that looks pretty cool and I'm always up for something interesting. This is another, this seems to be free to play. And so I think they probably are going to sell you some extra characters or something like that. But it seemed like there was only going to be like five levels. And I'm not really sure how many times I would want to play five levels, even if it was really fun. Um, I just don't get into that like heavy repetition kind of thing. I mean, I think Overwatch is probably the closest I came, but there's quite a bit of variety in Overwatch if you like the characters and you can play different roles. I mean, maybe that will be the case here too. I don't want to write them off too soon. But just from what I saw, I was like, hmm, I don't know, man. Like, I, I, I think that maybe they're barking up the wrong tree by trying to do some kind of an online shooter thing. They may have been better off just doing a traditional console action type game. Um, but we'll see. Have you uh, heard anything about Raiders of the Broken Planet? Uh, I have not. I would like to think that if I had, I would have remembered a title as silly as that. But this is the first I've heard of it. Yeah, it's 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 just now making the rounds in beta. It feels a little bit too early to be in beta for me, honestly. Um, I'm not sure why they are putting it out right now. And half the time I couldn't even get a match going because there just weren't enough people on or maybe the connection was a problem. I don't know. Um, I don't I don't want to sound negative on it because I do like Mercury Steam as a developer. I think they're great. I would love to see them um, have success. I think they, they're very talented. So we'll see. I, I, I don't have more to say, but just know that this is a thing. Go check it out if you're interested. And the final game of the night is another beta. Uh, this is Marvel Heroes Omega. Uh, this is put out... I'm sorry, it's late. I'm tired. We've been recording for a long time. <laughs> I have no idea who puts this out. Uh, it's... Oh, Gazillion. Gazillion? Is that, is that right? Gazillion? I have they no do. idea. Yeah, it doesn't... Fuck, it doesn't matter, dude. We've been, it's like we've been recording for so long. Uh, I think it's Gazillion. They're a mobile developer, and they also do like MMOs or something. This is basically Marvel Ultimate Alliance, the online multiplayer game. If anybody remembers Marvel Ultimate Alliance, it came out on 360 a while ago. It was like a Diablo-style game that starred Marvel heroes, and you could pick from a bunch of heroes and villains, and you just went around like Diablo levels with friends, and that was a really cool game, really fun game back in the day. I was always really sad they didn't continue that series, and um, I don't need to be sad anymore because this feels exactly like that. You have a bunch of heroes to choose from. You pick your heroes. You go out into like Diablo-style levels. Um, you only have like a couple powers at the beginning, so it seems kind of limited. But as you go and you level up, you unlock more powers. 
And if you look in the menus, there's like, I don't know, like 24 or 30 powers that each guy has. So depending on who you pick, you could ostensibly, you know, customize them however you want. And you can, I think like eight or 10 skills are active at a time. So even if two people played the same character, like they could potentially play very differently. Uh, and you can have couch co-op, like same system co-op. You can do friends online co-op. I mean, basically Diablo with Marvel superheroes. For me, that's, that's a win. I'm really looking forward to getting into it. Uh, Corey, I sent you a code to try and I believe that you gave it a quick spin. What was your, what was your initial thoughts on it? Uh, I am totally not into this sort of like, cause it's kind of, I mean, it's very MMO-y, right? Like I'm not wrong in saying that. No, yeah, correct. For sure. Um, and I'm totally not into like this kind of game in any way, shape or form. And this is not the game that's going to get me into it. Um, I, I did like the, the beginning of it because you play as it, the game starts you as Captain America for like five minutes. And, and of course the first thing I wanted to do is play as Black Widow. Cause, uh, you know, I like playing as women, of course. And then the game like morphs you into Black Widow and I was like, ah, oh, yes, this is exactly what I wanted. And then her attacks are really stupid. So then I got sad, but, um, and then you play as like Hulk for a minute and then it's like, all right, now you can test out, you know, and tr uh, try the other characters. And you go in the roster menu, and it is, like, overwhelming amount of characters. It's, like, every, like, everyone in, like, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and, like, all of the X-Men, and, like, Deadpool, and, like, all, like, some, and, like, some people that I've never even heard of, uh, like, uh, like, uh... I don't even know. There's just, like, so many people. And I always forget that X-Men are part of the Marvel Universe because, like, the X-Men movies, like, the live-action movies are pretty separate from, like, you know, the Marvel Cinematic Universe movies. And I was like, oh, yeah, uh, X-Men are in this. And, god damn, there's just so many people to choose from. And so I was, like, testing out different characters, and I, like, tried Deadpool for a little bit, and I tried Spider-Man, and then I went into, like, one mission, and I kind of got tired of playing as Spider-Man because I didn't think he was that great. And then the game's like, oh, you can't change characters unless you're at headquarters. And I was like, well, son of a bitch, because I did not want to play as Spider-Man anymore. So I had to, like, suffer through this, like, mediocre, like, grind level to finish. And then I, like, went into the next level and played as Deadpool. And I got to a part where you, like, fight Venom. And I kept dying over and over again. And I was not really having a good time like this game is not totally not for me i'm not saying it's a bad game this is kind of like how brad felt about prey like it's just not my kind of game i'm not interested in it the, the the roster of characters and the amount of leveling up and the amount of abilities and the amount of stuff you can equip for your character and the amount of costumes that are available like that is all there there's so much stuff here that it is super overwhelming for me but the nice thing is that it's deep enough to where if this if you decide that this is going to be like the MMO that you want to go to. I mean, there is plenty of stuff here to do, but I'm just not an, an MMO kind of dude. And it's really overwhelming for me. And I don't really find any pleasure in sort of like the simplistic combat that it provides where you basically just run up to people and keep tapping X until they're dead. And then you repeat that about 50 times and the level's over. Like, I'm just not, it's just not my thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you got to kind of have a taste for it. And in general, I probably wouldn't play a game like this, but I really like the Marvel characters. And I was really kind of won over by how accurate a lot of them were. Like, uh, as someone who used to read a lot of comics, not so much these days, but back in the day, I I mean, I actually I actually ran two comic shops in a previous lifetime. So <laughs> I, I know about comics and seeing some of those nods. I mean, it looked like the people who had made the game 
I mean, if they didn't read the comics themselves, they've done a really good amount of research because they got a lot of really small things correct and a lot of the references made sense. And it was really neat to see some of the, the alternate costumes and stuff. I was like, oh, OK, this really feels like really accurate to the comics, which is cool. Um, so that was really good. And I also like the idea of something that I can play with my family. Like I could easily see myself like me and my wife and my youngest son, like firing this up and just like going for it. Not the deepest thing, but just, you know, just having a good time together. Like, you know, having family or friends always makes something better. Um, a little bit hesitant uh, because as I was going through the game, I saw a few areas where they were like, oh, you want to craft this thing? you got to get these three items. And I'm like, ah, I don't oh, want to no. do that. Like, yeah, I mean, I don't know how necessary it is. Maybe that's only for like end game people or I don't know how vital some of those things are. But it was like, oh, you need nine cosmic shards to make a cosmic bracelet. And this is going to be I'm like, ah, <laughs> oh, God, you're losing me. You're losing me. I mean, you pick up some stuff, which is cool, but. I mean, hopefully you don't need that that stuff to like get through the game. I'm also kind of wondering how much content there is and how much they want you to replay. Like I'm all about playing through and I might even play through as different characters, maybe once or twice. But like if you have to like play through a bunch of times or if there's not really enough content to really keep you busy, um, I would be kind of concerned about that. I'm not really up for one of those like just like playing for loot over and over and over. Like it would have to be something cool. I'd have to see new bosses. I'd have to see new areas. So uh, I don't know how much content there's going to be apparently this has been out on pc for quite a while and it's pretty well liked it's got a pretty good rep so i know that standards are sometimes different on pc than they are on console so i don't know if that's going to translate but i like what i've seen so far definitely into it in fact i was actually going to like start a character and push forward but because it's still in beta they're going to be wiping the servers on the 16th of this month so whatever you do it's all going to be reset to zero so i'm like you know what i'm not even gonna i'm not even gonna play because anything I do is going to be lost. I'm going to wait until after they wipe the servers. And once it's good to go, which I believe is this week, this coming week, then I will jump in. Then I will really get a feel for it. I'll dig around, see what I can find out, and we'll, we'll see how that goes. So looking forward to that. And also just a heads up uh, on that. So to kind of recap the, the betas we've been discussing, Dreadnought. Raiders of the Broken Planet, Marvel Heroes, Omega. Those are all coming to PS4 really soon. They may already be on PC. I don't know. I'm um, sorry it's late. Did not do my due diligence research, and I, I can only offer you my apologies. Um, I think this is the longest show we've ever done. Does that oh sound correct God. to you, Corey? For sure. I'm pretty sure up until this point, maybe like an hour and 40 minutes has been our longest show, I want to say. And this one's like almost hitting two and a half hours. Yeah, I'm exhausted, dude. I'm exhausted. Next show, <laughs> I don't care what's going on. It's going to be a shorter show. But I think this has been a good show. I feel... I feel like this was a good episode. What do you think, Corey? We really went on a journey in this episode. I, it was good. I feel like I grew as a person. Yeah, I do not feel like the same man that I did two hours ago when I sat down to start uh, recording this with you. You don't look like the same man. <laughs> Is my beard like three inches longer now? <laughs> <laughs> Personal hair growth. This show is all about it. And as you may have guessed, dear listeners, uh, tired listeners, awake listeners, Seriously. any listeners, <laughs> anybody who's still listening to this, you can call yourself a super fan and we love you. This is the end of our games talk and also the end of the show. But before we go, as I stated earlier, you can send us your comments, thoughts, feedback, ideas, anything else you'd like to at sovideogamespodcast at gmail.com. We are also on Twitter as a show at So Video Games. And you can also reach us individually. Corey, what is your Twitter handle, sir? My Twitter handle is my first and last name, uh, Corey Motley. It is C O R E Y M O T L E Y. 
And I am on Twitter as a person also. I am Brad Galloway. It's at B-R-A-D-G-A-L-L-A-W-A-Y. And this is the end of another So Video Games. We will see you next week in shorter format, I swear. (laughs) But in the meantime, uh, this is bye from Brad. And bye from Corey. Thanks for listening to this long show. And we will see you guys next week. 